Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily with Andrew Hustler-Patterson and Michael Remus. All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome to a uh, heading into the long weekend edition of Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Andrew Patterson, Michael Remus with you. Packed show coming up. And of course, we will finish with a marble race. So uh, for everyone kicking it on the YouTube stream, make sure you're sticking around to the end for your chance to win our version of the Masters Green Jacket, the very illustrious Winnipeg Sports Talk Canadian Club hoodie. Um, we've got lots to get to, as I mentioned. We are packed. Uh, bombers are on their way this afternoon to Calgary to take on the Stampeders tomorrow. Cannot wait for the 6 p.m. kickoff from McMahon Stadium. Ed Tate from BlueBombers.com is going to jump on. Depth chart released earlier today. We'll jump into that. Get the little bit of the vibe around the team and take a look at this matchup and a rematch of that thriller a couple Fridays ago here in Winnipeg at IG Field. There's a lot to talk about with our good friend Darren Dunn. Manitoba Derby um, was announced yesterday with the big press conference at Assiniboia Downs. Monday night is the biggest race of the year at the Downs with the Derby ready to go in race number six. But we'll also talk to Darren about sort of the fallout from that controversial race last Wednesday, which we mentioned too. And Mike McIntyre's got a big piece in the free press about it today. Uh, Darren not particularly pleased at how the regulator handled the uh, um, the investigation, shall we say. So we'll touch on that and take a look ahead to the big one, Monday night, the Manitoba Derby, the 74th running with Double D. Um, we do have to get to some NHL offseason talk. Murata Tesh of The athletics going to join us a little later on. And with NFL training camps open all around the league, Hacksaw is back. Lee Hacksaw Hamilton in hour number two before we drop the marbles and get you off for three days off in the uh, August long weekend. Um, so welcome to everyone. You podcast listeners, if you do ever have the opportunity to jump on your podcast feed, Apple, Spotify, and give us a five-star rating and a review, always helps us grow the channel. And of course, for people that are checking us out on YouTube, hit that red subscribe button. Make sure you're subscribed to the channel. It's completely free. And uh, hit the thumbs up while you're at it for uh, today's episode. We always appreciate that. Speaking of appreciation, thanks so much to the sponsors that make this show happen each and every day. Our friends at Princess Auto, Cool Bet Canada, Wallace & Wallace, Vita Health, F Apparel, Aikens Lake, Culligan Water, Manitoba Battery, Royal Sports, Breezy Bend, Not Auto Corp, Little Brown Jug, Canadian Club, the Nick and Nicky DQ Group, and of course our friends over at Boston Pizza and Assiniboia Downs. Let's get to it. we got a signing to talk about in the NHL. We've got a game from last night in the CFL to kick off the week in the three-down league. And Michael Remus making an appearance last night on the American Association's broadcast of the Gold Eyes game as the uh, fish continue their homestand. Remo, what's going on? Yeah, How did it go last night? That was a bucket list event for me. Us, uh, face American Association on their Facebook page. They have a game of the week. I joined uh, broadcaster Carter Woodiel for innings two and three. I really didn't know what I was going to get into, but... I just went to the hits and uh, pulled out the home run derby trophy. I was like, did you know that at Shaw Park, I actually won the media home run derby back at the All-Star Games? We were talking, <laughs> of course you did. We how, how long did it take for you to get into um, that? Two minutes? Three? Half in. I think after the first <laughs> half inning, I was like, oh, yeah, I can talk about it. Because we were talking about, I guess, the All-Star game had just happened. And 
um, talking about Shaw Park, like when I, you know, memorable games and uh, moments. And um, so it was so much fun to be. I had never really been on a game because we we're kind of talk doing like a podcast while the game is going. So I got to like let him do the play by play. Um, I missed there were two homers in the first inning. I was too bad I wasn't on those, but I brought out the I brought out a lot of props. I was like was pushing like carrot top territory here. I, I showed off our podcast trophy too. Nice. Yeah, As was... a matter of fact, Carter, this is the site of one of my greatest athletic achievements, yeah. winning right here the Media Home Run Derby for 20, 2014. We got a good little gold eyes themed uh, show today. You got the fish hat on. I got the uh, the jersey on right now, and I'm actually going to pick up one of the new ones, I think, this weekend. Um, Gold Eyes are at home all week, uh, and I'm going to be heading out there tonight. Looks like You're a going to, beautiful man, day for a ball game. I was game. talking about going uh, going tonight as well, the Gold Eyes. Well, let's I'll make it happen. There. Yeah, we let's should make talk. it happen. We should talk. We get a few of the fellas. If you want to join or uh, get the crew, you let me know, and uh, we will uh, we will set that up. Um I'm looking forward to the game. Um, and this is, they finished up winning, winning the series against the Chicago Dogs in first place. That was nice. And uh, now I believe it's the Lake County Dock Hounds uh, that are in yes. tonight. Um, but anyways, tonight, tomorrow, Sunday afternoon for the Gold Eyes. We mentioned tomorrow, uh, Valor FC playing at 2 o'clock. And then the Bomber game on the road in Calgary at 6 o'clock. Mm -hmm. So some great sporting options uh, for people over the next few days. Um, Eddie Tate's going to join us and we'll kind of dive into the Bombers and maybe touch on last night's game. Uh, tonight, of course, BC and Saskatchewan going out. That'll be a real interesting game. We'll hit on that in the cool bet lines. Uh, but Remo, let's get right to it. Uh, the big story today broken by our man, Kevin Weeks, the people's insider just dropped a video of him beside a Socrates statue along with the news that he is reporting the Anaheim Ducks are close to signing free agent defenseman John Klingberg, one of the top defensemen on the free agent market and certainly the remaining free agents, to a one-year deal for $7 million or in and around $7 million. This is a fascinating contract in that, you know, there was a real scarcity of, you know, high-end defensemen. And I think everyone assumed, I mean, John Klingberg was originally asking reportedly for like eight by eight from the Dallas Stars. So for him to get a $7 million deal, AAV's great, but on a one-year deal, it just simply shows them that he and his agent had to go to plan B. Uh, and I find it fascinating that the Ducks are the team to sign him because this isn't really a team that is contending, but it helps them get to the salary cap floor. And um, obviously... If the Ducks are not a playoff team, which I don't think many people expect them to be this season, John Klingberg will be a very, very valuable asset for the Ducks to flip at the deadline. And uh, this is sort of an investment in future assets for the cost that they were going to have to spend anyways to uh, make sure that they were cap compliant and above the floor. Yeah, I joked with you off air that this is basically buying a first round pick. With this signing, and for for Dallas, it gets you to the cap floor. You got a top defenseman. It's only a one year contract, and again, you can flip him at the deadline if you're not in a playoff spot. For John Klingberg, we talked about this earlier this week. He fired his agent. You know, hadn't signed was one of the top defensemen available. Signed with Newport Sports, and look, he takes a one probably was looking for the one year deal with the most money. You know, going to Anaheim on the West Coast, that's a plus too. So, um, and maybe he gets traded to a contender at the deadline. So I think Klingberg's, you're probably really disappointed that you didn't get a long-term deal, but you get $7 million for one season and 
you try it, you're going to try it again next year when maybe more teams have more flexibility and you have what you believe is more, you know, more competent uh, agent handling, you know, your contract negotiations. So uh, <laughs> didn't work out the way he thought it would, but I think in the end, you know, it'll work out okay for him next year, you would think. Well, listen, as long as he gets a big deal next year and has a good season, I mean, if he gets injured, if he sucks this year, um, I mean, maybe the opportunity has passed. I mean, you, I, I do wonder, and we'll probably never know, what was on the table in the league that was maybe turned down at the beginning mm -hmm. of free agency or leading into it. Um, because when the money's gone, it's gone. Um, you know, this is not the major leagues where you can just go into the luxury tax and hold your nose and pay a little bit of extra. I mean, it is a hard cap right now, and the cap is as flat as it is, um, which has made, you know, the cap assets and the ability to bring on players um, for good teams, incredibly scarce. And then you've got teams towards the bottom of the league, like the Anaheim Ducks, that, you know, I think in a lot of ways, Pat Verbeek deserves a lot of credit for, um, you know, manipulating their cap space into a player that will be good in the short term. Doesn't probably have a long-term future there, although they'll have the opportunity to re-sign him if he fits in very well and they like it. Um, but I would expect that John Klingberg... Can we get the, the trade bait board already uh, up right now, Rio, yeah, for, uh, for the deadline? Who's... I mean, Whose first round pick can we match with John Klingberg? Is the first round pick going to be on there? Who has one? What about cap space? Whose cap, cap space will be on that list in the top Anaheim. 10 as well? Anaheim's got a lot of cap space. The Anaheim or cap friendly hasn't updated yet, but I forgot that they, yeah, they signed Frank Vetrano and uh, Ryan Strom too. So they've been, they've been busy. I forgot, you know, it's been a couple weeks since it opened. I've kind of forgot about all these. It was so crazy that day. And yeah, they signed Isaac Lundestrom as well to a two-year RFA. So um, they, I wonder if they do, and I'm kind of surprised they haven't re-signed Sonny Milano. I don't know what he's waiting for. Cap space isn't, isn't holding them back. Like, where is he going to go? Well, I mean, he might have some other options. Maybe yeah. here in Winnipeg. Maybe, and this is the thing, I mean, We've talked before about the Jets' predicament when it comes to getting free agents, and sometimes you have to overpay. Um, I would imagine the Jets have been in on a few players. That I mean, certainly we heard Ken report that Danton Hyman was one of the guys that they were interested in, had a offer on the table that would pay him significantly more than the one by one deal that he took to stay with the Pittsburgh Penguins. Um, but many of those deals are on the table, and I wouldn't even be surprised when it comes back to. And we'll talk about this with Marat Reem. I mean, for all the uh, the hand-wringing about the lack of significant moves by the Winnipeg Jets this year, um, I would imagine there's been a myriad of trades that have been discussed, some uh, prices that have been established that are available for Kevin Cheveldayoff, and at this point, believing that they need to hold on until they can do better for these assets going forward. And, you know, in a lot of ways, it seems like it's a bit of a staring match between some teams right now, and I'd imagine the Winnipeg Jets will be uh, will be in there. But I think there's no doubt that there is a lot more work that needs to be done. Um, but timing in these situations is often everything, and the timing was amazing for the Anaheim Ducks to get a player like John Klingberg on a one-year deal, um, which will turn into be a real significant asset as we get closer to that NHL trade deadline. And then, of course, teams that don't have the cap space right now to sign Klingberg can get him in only paying his salary for the final 20, 25 games of the year and then have him as part of a uh, a boosted squad going into a Stanley Cup playoff run. I wonder if the floodgates open now for some of these other free agents we're waiting to sign 
Paul Stasny, Bill Kessel. Uh, are we going to hear the official announcement of Bro Bergeron, who's Subban? What's he going to do? Kadri, of course. So there are guys available. Are they going to you know, go down to the wire or be busy on the long weekend hammering out a contract? So um, not done yet, but that's one big name, John Klingberg, who we were talking about all week when he fired his agent. Went to the big agency and uh, scored himself a one-year deal. So Yeah, no doubt about it. And I guess the other thing, I mean, what does this mean for Kadri? Um, because, I mean, we really were looking for the two biggest free agents remaining. The top forward, Nazem Kadri, who was looking for a significant term and significant money. Uh, and I'd say Klingberg was in the exact same uh, sexy spot. Um, now... Klingberg was rumored to go to Carolina, and that seemed to sort of dry up when they made the trade for Brent Burns. Um, and as I think I mentioned this yesterday, I was listening to a little bit of John Shannon, who jumped on Sakaris and Price. And, you know, what he was reporting is that John Klingberg and his agent went to the Dallas Stars with a number and term that was so high um, that the Dallas Stars didn't spend very much time even considering it and walked away. Now, I don't know whether they came back or reconnected. Obviously, they didn't get anything done because John Klingberg is taking just a one-year deal. And for Nazem Kadri, it would be fascinating to know what his realistic options are right now. I mean, it has been reported, and I've sort of thrown this out. I would believe that the Avalanche would love to have him back and might be considering moving a piece. We've mentioned Sam Girard as a possibility with the emergence of Bowen Byram and the re-signing of Josh Manson. Um, but I'm not sure that Nazem Kadri might end up being forced into a similar situation, not getting anywhere close to the term that he was hoping to get, um, but get into a situation, unlike Klingberg going to Anaheim, where he might be able to um, really shine again, hopefully have a chance to win again, and then revisit this next year. But, I mean, with every year you put on the odometer, um, I think the possibility of getting that big long-term deal diminishes a little bit. So really, this was supposed to be the year for Nazem Kadri, and it just hasn't happened yet. He had a career year, um, 31 years old. You'd think that he would be able to cash in. I wonder if teams are getting smarter about outlier seasons and you know paying for you know post. You know, it's the way that that set up us. You really have your best years as an RFA. And then by the time you get to UFA, you're on the back end of your career. You're already 27. So, the, I mean, it kind of screws screws the players here. And so he's trying to cash in. He had a, he had a career. He should be, you know, you'd think he should be able to get a contract. It's a no-brainer. Doesn't have one. You know, I've seen speculation. Does he actually have a deal, deal signed with the Islanders that hasn't been announced yet? Uh! <laughs> That's, and they're waiting until, like, he shows up at training camp? Or does he have a handshake deal with Colorado for them to free up? Or what about Calgary? What about signing a one-year deal with Calgary? And Calgary's going to go for it again. I mean, imagine if they replaced Goudreau, Kachuk, with, you know, um, Kadri and Huberto. Now, they're, they're all going to be UFAs, but, I mean, if he did sign a one-year deal, but... I don't know where he's going to go. You think this guy should be able to get a contract, no problem, at least a five-year deal. Yeah, I, I, if he signs a one-year deal, it's a massive L for Kadri and his agent. Yes. Um, yes. You know, coming off the season, going into this year, being a center that does everything that he does with the the career that he's had. I mean, he scored 32 a couple times before. Very good defensive player. I mean, 200-foot player. So I'll, I'll say this. Um, this is the market sort of showing itself right now. And, you know, we knew that there would be a real tough time for some of the, um, you know, more veteran players in the league and guys that maybe weren't able to command big salaries. 
I didn't expect this happening with Nazem Kadri. So that'll certainly be something we'll discuss with Murad as well a little bit later on. We're going to start off with the Bombers, though. Big Bomber game tomorrow, 6 p.m. in Calgary. Um, of course, when we talk bombers on the program, we do it for our great friends at Princess Auto. And Princess Auto uh, welcomes all bomber fans to the big pregame tailgate party before every bomber game just outside IG Field. Um, $5 beers, $3.50 pop and hot dogs, DJ Finesse spinning. Uh, a great spot before the game. I know we got to wait through a couple more road games before we get back, but then plenty of home action. So if you are a Bomber fan, you're heading out to the game, make sure to get there early to the Princess Auto tailgate. And of course, Princess Auto is the place where you'll find the best deals on the most unique assortment of tools and equipment around everything you need to complete the project on your list or start something new. Is at Princess Auto, two Winnipeg locations, Panet Road, Portage Avenue West, or shop online 24-7, 365 at Princess Auto auto.com many of you will be heading out to the lake this weekend if you're out on the water and a boathouse door catches your eye chances are it's from our friends at wallace and wallace I mean, they're the leaders in fencing and overhead doors but they also do incredible business when it comes to your little piece of paradise on the lake they've got it all you can choose between steel or aluminum polycarbonate or glass panels and a design that is perfect and with galvanized tracks and springs to protect against rust, you know the doors are built to stand up against the challenges of life at the lake. If you need service on a boathouse or boathouse door as well, give them a call at 452-2700. Check out more online at wallacedoors.com or check out their showroom over on Lawson Road. Great weekend shaping up for barbecuing and our friends at Vita Health Fresh Market have you covered with great prices on Winnipeg's best selection of natural and organic supplements, beauty products, and groceries. Great options for the grill, including lean bison steaks or chicken, hot dogs, burgers, and if you're entertaining, non-alcoholic drink options like sober carpenter beer and clever mocktails, everything you need for a perfect summer day. Uh, and hey, if you can make it down to one of the stores, visit their new sh fully shoppable website to buy online, schedule a delivery, or in-store pickup at myvita.ca. Vita Health Fresh Market, empowering people to lead healthy lives. Seven Winnipeg locations, including the newest store in Linden Ridge, and online at myvita.ca. And uh, hey, it's beach day, probably beach weekend coming up. Uh, probably people won't be dressing up too much, although there probably will be a few weddings. But as you look into the fall, guys, make sure your wardrobe is ready for the turn of the seasons. And that means gatherings again, meetings, some galas. Uh, every guy needs at least one suit that fits and look great. It looks great. And F Apparel's custom suits begin at just $400. Got fitted out a um, couple weeks ago. Really looking forward to it coming in. So many options for you when you get down there. And guys, a great deal right now on shirts. Three custom shirts for just $210. Pop down and see Andrew and the gang for yourself at 190 Smith Street or check them out online at fepapparel.com. All right. Darren Dunn coming up, Murata Tash, a little NFL news and notes with Lee Hacksaw Hamilton. But let's start it off with the undefeated 7-0 Winnipeg Blue Bombers. The back-to-back -back Grey Cup champs are on the way to Calgary this afternoon. Let's get ready for the big one tomorrow night with Ed Tate from BlueBombers.com. Ed, what's going on, man? Great to have you back on the program. Appreciate you having me on. It's going to be a crazy day. We get to Calgary this afternoon, do some media, and then get ready for tomorrow's big showdown, as you said. It's going to be a blast. Well, I mean, this is the not the first uh, conversation we've had over the past month about the Bombers playing a top team in the league with a massive matchup. But uh, 
I have to say, it is weird looking at the schedule right now and realizing the Bombers have the opportunity to go to 8-0, but the BC Lions and the Calgary Stampeders are both 4-1 and on the season with losses to Winnipeg. I mean, I guess this will help the team a little later on, but uh, this team continually gets tested, and man, uh, they passed them all so far, but this is a big, big challenge on Saturday night. It really is weird. You mentioned the schedule, Huss, because, you know, Calgary hasn't played since uh, they were here in Winnipeg on July 15th, which for me seems like forever ago already. You know, July's flying by here. Um, the schedule has been goofy. The, the Bombers are in a stretch right now where they'll play six games in 32 days. That includes next Thursday's game in in Montreal. So not only are you playing in Calgary on a, a Saturday, you fly back, get basically home in the middle of the morning on Sunday uh, Monday's a day off. You'll practice Tuesday, then you're on the plane again to, to Montreal. So it's a crazy chunk of the schedule here. And you're right, the Bombers will get the benefit down the road because they'll have three buys from week 11 on to the end of the season. So that's going to help. But when you're in the moment right now, it's just nuts. It's, it's uh, you know, they're getting one practice a, a week, a one full practice a week sometimes, and um, one game blurs into the next. But You know, that doesn't make it any less compelling tomorrow. It's going to be amazing. And Calgary's coming off a bye. You know, they had their issues with some COVID stuff this week. But, um, boy, the the game a couple weeks ago was really good. And if this one can match that, we're in for a dandy. The funny thing about it, and it's just part of the identity of this team, that, um, you know, many other head coaches would be talking about how tough the schedule is and, you know, the adversity that they're going through right now. And that barely even is on the radar, it seems, of Mike O'Shea. I mean, he acknowledges the challenge. And I think when we're talking to players like Patty Newfeld, who joined us earlier, he knows that O'Shea's got a great pulse of the team, knows what the challenge is. But you won't hear them making any excuses in advance. I mean, this is a team that, you know, regardless of who's in the lineup, expects to win. And uh, they've done a pretty damn good job of doing that consistently so far this year. You're right, Huss. It's funny because... uh... This is part of the mantra, you know, people get tired of hearing about, you know, Mike O'Shea and, and everybody talking about next man up or it's the next game is the biggest game because it's the next game and all those kind of cliche things. That's part of what they do here. Uh, I can remember Dave Ritchie. God love Dave Ritchie. He's going on the Hall of Canadian Football Hall of Fame this year, but he would have been all over this schedule right now. It would have been. It could, Dave was the master of it's us versus them and them is trying to screw us. And, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> he would just be loving every second of this, right? It's He used it as fuel. He used it to kind of fire his guys up, whereas O'Shea is the opposite. And that don't even think about it. It's a sign of mental weakness if you use this as a crutch. And um, we even asked uh, Jake Thomas about this yesterday, and he said, uh, you know, he looks forward to it because it's, he gets a better sleep. He's, he's away from his wife's to-do list and uh, doesn't have uh, somebody bugger him, right? So it's just, you know, if, if you take that approach all the time, nothing will seem insurmountable. And, and one of the things that Coach O'Shea talks about all the time is whatever it is, I mentioned this to you before, Huss, if it's raining, it's perfect. If it's snowing, it's perfect. If they're playing six games in 32 games, it's perfect. That's what Coach O'Shea says all the time. And, and the players have bought in, and that's, I think that's part of why they're 7-0. and Well, I'll tell you what, it doesn't get much more perfect than having two of the top teams going at it on a Saturday night of a long weekend. And, um, you know, for Calgary, who had some off-field issues with pneumonia and I believe some COVID a little bit, um, but certainly they've got the advantage in rest. 
But the Winnipeg Blue Bombers have all the momentum right now in the Canadian Football League. That being said, though, this is a big, big test. You know that Calgary will be feeling like they maybe let one get away from uh, from them uh, here in Winnipeg a couple weeks ago. Um, and, of course, with all the football the team has played, the minute that depth chart comes out the day before the game is the key moment to see who's in and who's out. And I know Blue Bomber fans were hoping we might see one or both of Greg Ellingson or Jackson Jeffcoat return. That won't happen. But it is nice to see Nick Dembski. Before we get to some of the guys that are out, I mean, uh, a big addition. And the Bombers, you know, offense has done it in a number of different ways. No more bizarre than the Edmonton game last week. Um, big, big addition back into the lineup with uh, a productive player like Nick. Uh, absolutely. You know, he, he brings so many different wrinkles to the offense. You know, we know he's a, dynam a dynamite receiver. Uh, but, you know, there's those wrinkles, and they've exploited them against Calgary a few times, too, where he runs the ball, and he's just a gifted athlete, right? And I think uh, last week in Edmonton, uh, the Elks did a really good job of kind of taking some things away from, from Zach Caleros. He didn't have Greg Allingson. Harold Nagadosi, who had two touchdowns against Calgary, got hurt in that game. Uh, you, you're right, and no, Dim, no, no Dick, Nick Dembski, so that's a big factor, too. Getting him back is is massive. Uh, it, it's you know again seven and zero is pretty impressive when you look at what's happened on this receiving core with Ellingson out, with Dembski out, Agadosi comes in, pops off the page, and then he only goes for about a half of the next game. It's kind of been a revolving door outside of uh, Rashid Bailey, Dalton Schoen, and Drew Wallatarski. So um, they're I think they're ecstatic to have uh, Nick back because he's just a playmaker, right? He certainly is. And speaking of playmakers, I mean, that we got to talk about Dalton Schoen for a minute. We always joke about the WST bump. We've had some guys come on the show and had good games. But, Ed, for the first time maybe ever, we were doing our cool bet lines and knowing that Ellingson was out, the big conversation was, okay, who's going to be the guy to step up? And I think half the chat must have been on the over for Dalton Schoen yards and a touchdown, and he did it in one freaking play. Um, he has been a revelation so far this year. And by the way, folks, if you have had a chance to watch CFL Wired this week on TSN, there's a ton of great stuff from Dalton Schoen. But, uh, you know, at this point in the season, he has to be one of the best stories so far, maybe not just here in Winnipeg, but in the league, Ed. Oh, absolutely. I think he's a front runner for, for rookie of the year. You know, he's been, he's been so impressive. He talked about that play last week. That's what he does. He's already, he's got such a high football IQ already. That was a broken play, basically, right? But he found a place to get open, and Zach Caleros found him, and then he made Duran Carter look like a fool trying to tackle him uh, in, in the open field. Uh, Darren Cameron and I recorded a podcast with him yesterday, Huss, and uh, he's, he's every bit as genuine as you think. You know, this is a guy, we've talked about his story, a, a walk-on at Kansas State. His dad told him to have a street dog mentality. He writes that on his wrist tape before every game, street dog. And he's just, I mean, I tell you what, the, it's been seven games, and this guy's already become a fan favorite because of uh, not only just what he does on the field, but he just says and does all the right things. He's he's really likable, and he, he had some, I'm doing a little plug here for our own podcast, but he had some really cool things to talk about in his days at K-State and playing for Bill Snyder and, just everything that's happened to him since he got to Winnipeg. Um, it's a cool story, right? Of all the things that can happen in the start of a season. Um, and for them bombers to be seven and oh, I don't know that very many people thought that Dalton Schoen would have 
his fingerprints all over this great start like he does. No, he uh, he certainly has been, and uh, certainly he's making some fantasy players pretty happy as well through seven <laughs> wins on the season. Hey, before we get to the defensive side of the football and who's in and out, I kind of laugh. We were just talking about O'Shea, everything's perfect. Is Zach Caleros the quarterback version of Mike O'Shea a little bit as far as his mentality? I mean, it's a guy that never seems to get too high, never seems to get too low. And the bottom line is he brings a professionalism and a consistency every single game to find ways to win, sometimes in bizarre circumstances like last week, only connecting for seven completions. Um, But overall, has he sort of become Mike O'Shea of the offense? You know, that's a great analogy, Huss. I hadn't thought of that, but it's it's probably very true. And it's maybe why... Uh, when they were contemplating the trade in October of 2019, that when the idea came up to Coach O'Shea, he had worked with them before, and, and probably um, because their personalities mesh or they're very similar, um, that might be why they made the trade. And then I think that's a big part of why it works so much here. The guy has this, I mean, you talk to the players, he walks into the huddle and he's just, uh, he's calm, cool, and collected. I was When I was in the, in the 80s, I was a huge fan of Joe Montana. And there's some similarities there, in, in my uh, opinion, in just the way they command the huddle and the way they act on the field. Um, and, and that's as high as praise as I can give a quarterback because Joe Montana is my favorite. But um, he, 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 there's just something about him, right? He's got that it factor that so many coaches talk about. Um, he doesn't get high, doesn't get low, like you said. After the game last week, you're right. He had seven completions. They win the game, and he's doing the media. The quarterback has to always do media after a game, and you can tell he's ticked off. But he he did his uh, 90 seconds, two minutes, whatever it was, because the answers were short. He was mad. He was mad at what they had done, even in a victory. But that's about as uh, that's about as much as much emotion as you will see from him after a game. It's just he's he's. Uh, Joe Cool, as they say. <laughs> no doubt about it. Ed Tate of BlueBombers.com getting us ready for the big tilt tomorrow in the Canadian Football League. Bombers and Stamps from McMahon Stadium in Calgary. Local start time here in Winnipeg at 6 p.m. Eddie, we've been talking about the offense. Let's head over to the defensive side of the football. Not getting any help on the line. No return of Jackson Jeffcoat. And uh, another hit in the defensive secondary. Uh, how's the defense looking overall health-wise going into Saturday night? Yeah, you know, it, it's kind of a you win some, lose some when you look at the depth chart. Um, we talked about Dembski coming back. No Jackson Jeffcoat, as you mentioned, and it's going to be another change at safety with uh, Malcolm Thompson got nicked up. He's been replacing Brandon Alexander. And so Nick Hallett, the, the Canadian who's been so un- unbelievable on special teams, will start at safety. Um, it's a big change because Malcolm Thompson's been pretty good back there, more than pretty good, I think. He's He's sort of the same kind of physical force back there that Brandon Alexander is. Doesn't have the experience that BA does in terms of communication, but he's been really good. And so it's unfortunate he got, he got nicked up and uh, he's going to he put on the one game injured list. So that, that hurts them, you know, and again, without Jackson, Jeff quote on the one edge, it's going to be Cedric Wilcox, the second and LB Mack, the third, who had a, uh, an inter, a sack last week. The Bombers keep getting stuff done from from all these people that, that step in. And I wrote something earlier this week, too, and it's their big play guys. Willie Jefferson, you know, he's played a couple games now without uh, Jeff Coat on the other end. So, he's, you know, he's getting extra attention, but he's still getting after the quarterback. He had three knockdowns last week. He's got three sacks. You know, he had that pick six a couple weeks ago. 
Um, I make the case that you could say he's having his best year, even though the stats mm-hmm. might not say it, because uh, Jackson hasn't been on the other side to take some of the attention away from him too. Well, and and it's funny, of course. I know you did a piece as well. I mean, on Willie becoming the first player in Canadian Football League history to have the uh, fifty sacks and fifty uh, deflections, and I can't remember who we were talking to about it earlier this week, but you know, the deflections are one of those stats that I think sort of gets overlooked. Um, but in a way, it's somebody that's the only way Dietrich Nichols is getting his hands on a football, the fact that he goes off Willie Jefferson because no one's throwing it at him. Yeah, you know, it's 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 an underrated stat, you know, in a lot of ways, from what you just said, the, the tips and it gets to the defensive back, but you think of a guy that's six foot seven with that wingspan and you're a quarterback trying to find a throwing lane. I mean, even if he doesn't get his mitts on it, you're uh, changing a lot of throws. And I was talking to Willie about that when we were doing this story. Uh, I wish the CFL step still kept that stat about pressures. And I know it was too subjective for them. That's the reason that they dumped it. But just think of all the times that Willie impacts a play where he's not quite at the quarterback but he's got his hands up and the guy's pulling it down because there's this giant in his face. That's a pressure. That's, that's a stat that should still count in my uh, opinion, because it's uh, affecting the, the play. And what I really liked when I talked to Willie, as we talked to, and thanks for, I think it was you that even tweeted or retweeted the guy from TSN that, that first pointed yeah. that out. Um, thanks for that, because that gave me a story idea for a <laughs> slow day. <hus. laughs> well, anyway, when we were talking that, when I was talking to Willie about that the other day, the first thing out of his mouth is it's a long way from a hundred. So he wants to be <laughs> in the hundred hundred club. Uh, and I love that because uh, he said he's not done. And, you know, you think of where he's at in his career, he's, he's still dominant, um, still making a, a difference on defense. And he still has a lot more to do in his words. Well, and Willie's going to get a ton of attention, probably even more so with Jackson Jeffcoat out. But I mean, you think about, I mean, I, I think this is a big, big test as it always is, but especially with the running game at Calgary, for right. the likes of sales, Thomas, and uh, of course, LB Mack, who uh, got into the lineup for the first time last year in Jackson Jeffcoat's absence. Yeah. You know, I was looking at some numbers here today, Huss. In the first game against Calgary a couple weeks ago, Kadeem Carey, Calgary's running back, had uh, over he had 12 carries for 110 yards. That's incredible. You know, I'm mathematically challenged, but that's pretty damn good. And then the Bombers only had, uh, I think, 45 yards on 21 carries. So there's a, just a dramatic difference in the two running games in the first game. And we've been this is a conversation we've been having all year about the Bombers and how they can get their ground game going. I thought that Brady Oliveira had some hard yards last week in Edmonton, but you know, then then the next day or a couple of days later, Andrew Harris does his thing for Toronto, and that's what everybody's comparing what the Bombers are doing this year to a guy that's you know destined for the Hall of Fame, and um, I think it's still going to come. Calgary's tough; it might not come this week, but I, I think that uh, Buck Pierce has found some different ways to get guys. The ball, it might not, not all be Brady and Johnny uh, Augustine. It might be some Nick Dembski. It might be some Greg McRae uh, because Buck is, is committed to keeping uh, the ground game part of what they do offensively. Well, and, and I mean, I just keep going back to that BC game where, um, you know, it was coming off the Toronto game where they didn't run the ball particularly effectively and they established the run. They rushed for more yards in that first quarter than they had the entire previous game. And at that point, the 
BC defense had to respect the run, and Zach Caleros was a was a surgeon for the remainder of the three quarters, and the Bombers ran away with it. Going to be a great matchup on on Saturday. Certainly is the marquee game of the weekend in the Canadian Football League. But hey, Ed, before we go, um, uh, what are your thoughts about this one tonight between BC and Saskatchewan? Another big game in the West. Saskatchewan's been reeling a little bit with the back to back losses to Toronto, and uh, BC's been waiting a while to get back on the field. Yeah, it should be a great one too. You know, it, it's we're going to start getting some answers over the next few weeks in this league, right? I, I thought uh, the game last night in Hamilton between Montreal and Hamilton was every bit as entertaining as any game we've seen this year. It was, it was kind of goofy in some circumstances, yeah. and but it was still fun. And, and you know, the East has been kind of a disaster outside of Toronto, but they're going to start playing each other now. So somebody's going to win some games. They have to. And then out west here, we're going to start to get some answers because. Um, you know, Saskatchewan's had a East heavy schedule to start. They haven't played uh, BC, Winnipeg or Calgary yet. Um, you know, BC hasn't been on the road very much yet this season. So that's going to be interesting. And as you said, off the top here, both BC and Calgary have had two buys already. So, you know, the, you look at the standings and like you said, it's bizarre to see one team at seven and games played and a couple others at five and, now, there hasn't been divisional a lot of divisional games yet, so uh, set, you know, kind of buckle up, uh, you know, do up your chin strap because between now and through Labor Day, it's going to be uh, it's going to be pretty heavy between the division games. And I, I mean, I love it, but it's late summer. Let's go. Well, another short week next week heading into a Thursday game in Montreal, but uh, the the focus is all on Saturday night, and uh, you know the Bombers will never be looking ahead past an opponent, especially one as good as Calgary. Hey, Ed, just on the way out, I wanted to uh, mention, um, I don't think we could have a better way to kick things off for the long weekend. I'm going to head down and watch the Valor Lads take on uh, Pacific FC at 2 p.m. on Saturday. Maybe have a couple, get something to eat, and then, of course, watch the game. Um, pretty nice run for Valor over the course of the last three or four weeks. They had those three straight wins, another draw, have had a loss, but uh, things seem to be coming around for, uh, for Phil and the boys. Yeah, it's interesting. They had uh, the four-game unbeaten streak was a, a franchise record, and you're right, it came to an end in Hamilton last week, and they had that stupid uh, Wednesday, Saturday, or Wednesday, yeah, Wednesday, Saturday, I think it was, where the, the game got rescheduled because of COVID and they had some guys were flying and didn't get to Ottawa till 4.30 in the morning and they got a tie. Anyway, it's been a kind of a crazy schedule for them. They have seven of their next eight at home, which is massive for them. They've got to, you know, they're still in fifth place trying to track down one of those four playoff spots. Be a new uh, forward in the lineup uh, Saturday against Pacific, Billy Forbes, who's on loan from Detroit FC. I talked to him yesterday. He, he's on the Turks and Caicos national team. And he had a hat trick in one of their games recently. So he's going to bring some speed. And then Pacific was playing in uh, Jamaica on Tuesday night. So they're, they're on a short week. They're in the Con CONCACAF league as the defending CPL champion. So it should be fun. And again, start of a real critical home stretch for Valor here with a bunch of games at home between now and Labor Day. Well, if you're looking for something to do on Saturday afternoon before the Bombers and Stamps get going at 6, Valor FC and Pacific kick off at 2 p.m. at IG Field. Eddie, travel safe this afternoon. Good luck tomorrow, and uh, we'll look forward to catching up next week, hopefully before the back-to-back -back against the Alouettes. Right on, Huss. Thanks for having me on. Have a good day. All right, great stuff from Eddie. Looking forward to the game tomorrow night, 6 o'clock p.m. is kickoff. Um... 
All right, we've got lots to get to uh, coming up. Murata Tesh going to join us in about eh, 20 minutes or so. Before that, we're going to head out to uh, the track in Assiniboia Downs. And don't forget, the uh, Manitoba Derby is Monday night. If you're not able to get out on any nights, you want to bet with us, hit hpibet.com, and you can bet on tracks around the world, including everything we've got going on over at Assiniboia Downs. Um, hey, it's going to be hot this weekend. Got to stay hydrated. And when we talk water in this town, you know the experts at Culligan Water are taking care of Winnipeg and Southern Manitoba. And they've been doing it as a locally owned family business for over 65 years. Water softeners, filters, bottled water coolers, whole home systems, drinking water systems, and citywide water delivery services, as well as commercial and industrial water products and solutions is what Culligan's all about. Visit them at 1200 Sargent Avenue. 6945180 and check out all their products and services and how they can help you and your family online at drinkculligan.com. Got your batteries for the uh, for the camper, for the boat, for uh, all your plans for the weekend? Well, if you haven't, what you need to do right now is give Donnie and the gang a call over at Manitoba Battery 7838787 1026 Logan Avenue. Manitoba Battery is where you'll save time and most importantly money on the best prices in town while shopping local on batteries for literally everything. They're also the home of the Deep Cycle 24 battery for $99.50 a price nobody in town can touch. Uh, and hey, the other great thing that they'll do, speaking of saving you time, is deliver it anywhere citywide at no additional fee. Forget the big box stores when it comes to batteries. Shop local, get a better price, and enjoy the convenience and service that Manitoba Battery has to offer. They're ready for you now. Eight until six, Monday to Friday. Learn more online at manitobabattery.com or pop down and visit them at 1026 Logan Avenue. And hey, Royal Sports also ready for the weekend. Uh, we always talk about the incredible merch they've got. I mean, cool hats and jerseys, T-shirts, um, everything you want for your favorite team. Uh, but this is the time where you want to be getting outside. And uh, you've got an amazing selection of bikes, soccer, softball, baseball. Uh, and I know a lot of people continue to get into disc golf. And once you try it, you can get hooked. They've got an amazing selection of disc golf equipment, tennis, and more. So before you maybe head out of town this weekend, pop by Royal Sports, pick up maybe uh, some uh, some disc golf equipment uh, or whatever you plan to dominate the weekend with. Royal Sports has it for you. And don't forget to follow them on Instagram at Royal Sports Pemina for the latest merchandise drops and sale information. Big tent sale coming up in early in September what my uh, little birdies are telling me. And uh, uh, Breezy Bend, of course, big thanks to our friends at Breezy Bend. I'm looking forward to getting out there on Monday before the Derby. We're going to talk about that with Darren Dunn right away. Uh, but some big news for uh, Canada. And, of course, our team cool bet guy, Taylor Pendrith, leading the Rocket Mortgage Open. He was tied with Tony Finau after yesterday's round, tied for the lead at eight under. He has started off his second round birdieing one, two, three, and four. And Taylor Pendrith is now the uh, solo leader with a two-shot lead right now over Cameron Young and Lee Hodges. Um, Tony Finau, Scott Sahithagala, all at nine under par. We'll pay attention to that throughout the afternoon as well. And hey, if you're looking about a, for a great home for you and your family on the golf course at one of Winnipeg's best private courses, 
Check out Breezy Ben. Talk to our friend Corey Johnson of getting on the waiting list for next year or find out everything Breezy has waiting for you online at breezyben.ca. All right, before Murata Tesh joins us, let's head out to Assiniboia Downs and welcome in Darren Dunn to get ready for the Manitoba Derby this weekend. Dunn, Double D, how are you? Two thumbs up. Happy to be with you, man. Hey, I know you've been dealing with a lot lately, and I want to focus on the Derby. But, uh, um, you know, we've talked about this uh, strange race last week on the show. Um, there's been lots of talk in horse racing circles about it. Mike McIntyre's got a big piece in the Winnipeg Free Press today. And I just figured I'd quickly ask you about it because I knew it was pretty clear that you were somewhat frustrated about how this was handled by the regulator and uh, maybe some of the optics to people that enjoy putting a toonie down on uh, racing at the track. Yeah, fair game for sure, Hustler. And uh, and really, yeah, it's gone kind of viral, to be perfectly honest with you. I mean, I've had feedback from, and I'm not exaggerating here, as far away as Asia, the Middle East, Australia, certainly all over Canada, North America, for that matter. Um, you know, it was last Wednesday, July the 20th, race five, and it related to uh, number one, a horse named King Witt and the jockey Sheldon Chickeness. So uh, in the end, the horse was out by five or six lengths at the time, turning for home was absolute. There we go. Norris was going to win. There you see the one horse there and uh, put on my former track announcer, Mike Hat here. Out by about five there. Well, well in control. Giving you a little live play-by-play here. And it's just what you will about, you're about to see when the horse turns for home with this incredible lead, no pressure, not fading in any way, shape, or form on its way to a highly probable victory. In fact, I would say could potentially have widened his advantage turning for home. So into the far turn they go. Everything seems to be in order. Nothing to see here. That's our south tower panning out to get the whole field in. Gives you an idea of why they had to do that because the horse was out by so many. And then all of a sudden, when I watch this live, uh, the jockey starts to act, you know, act up in the saddle, restrain the horse, pull it back. And I thought the horse was injured and was pulling up. And then the rest of the field catches up. And then the race is on again. Uh, and away he goes. He uses his crop. And the horse finishes you know, very aggressively and is ridden very aggressively to ultimately lose the race by a, about a long neck. So that didn't look good to me. I didn't care for what I saw there. Um, it was immediately caught off guard by the fact that there was no stewards inquiry. And those who don't know, stewards are our version of the sports referees. I think they should have taken a look at that at a minimum or sent a message that uh, they saw what we all saw, which was a highly unusual um, ride by a jockey in the saddle. And that, in fact, the horse seemed to be compromised by that jockey and costing him a win. In saying that, he didn't interfere with any other horses. So a steward's inquiry wouldn't have changed the finish that night and it wouldn't have changed the payout. In saying that, though, the fact that there was no inquiry and I was left with, you know, my jaw on the ground about how that went down, I wanted it looked into. I wanted it taken very seriously. And I made a formal request to our regulator to have that reviewed from top to bottom. They did that, um, to my understanding, making multiple interviews to the people connected with the horse trainer, uh, jockey, et cetera, reviewed film, um, et cetera, et cetera. And then only to uh, a couple of days ago, come out with their ruling and review to indicate you know, for all intents and purposes, I don't have it in front of me, so I'm paraphrasing a bit, but that no rules were broken, uh, no no discipline involved. And uh, that set me off, um, you know, in the most professional way I can. I value my regulator. They're great people. Don't get me wrong. Um, and they're doing their job to the best of their ability. But I could not disagree with their decision any stronger. 
Uh, I believe that they uh, made a mistake on this one. I think it's a miss. I guess we ultimately agreed to disagree on this, but in my mind, and I spoke to the jockey, by the way, a few days afterwards to ask him what was going on there. I know him a little bit. Do I think he's honest? Absolutely. Do I think he bet on the race? I do not. Do I think he cheated? I don't. Do I think he tried to fix the race? I'm convinced he didn't. And I'm not just trying to protect my brand here or anything. I'm telling you my honest opinion. I've been transparent from the word go on the situation. Uh, nothing to hide. Uh, running on a show out there. We fly straight. But in saying that, ultimately, he had indicated to me that the horse in the morning when they exercise, these horses are exercised seven days a week, the horse doesn't handle that turn for home. His momentum carries him out, a term we use, bolting. Um, he was worried the horse was going to do that. He thought he might potentially impact the rest of the field. He was worried about cutting off somebody else or injuring somebody else. And I'm going to have all kinds of respect for any jockey who's going to have their fellow riders and other horses in you know, the forefront of their consideration uh, out there because nobody wants an accident. Nobody wants to be hurt. But I believe he just got in his own head too much, didn't fully understand or appreciate the situation of that he was out by five or six lengths. And even if the horse had it drifted out, in my opinion, um, so what? Uh, he still had so much momentum. He would have went on to win. I think he would have actually increased his lead and won by 10 or 15 lengths, perhaps. To pull the horse back or restrain it, in my opinion, what I saw with my eyes, to almost a stop. And then to, you know, from almost a standing start to restart the horse's momentum, well, the rest of the field had full uninterrupted momentum. And then to come on so strong to almost win again anyways, tells me if you hadn't have interrupted that momentum, even if the horse had it went really wide in the stretch, and we have one of the biggest tracks in Canada, so what? Uh, the horse would have went wide, but would have won uh, by many, in my opinion. So my key issue is, I believe he affected the outcome of that race. I believe he caused his horse unintentionally, and not everybody's going to agree with that because everybody's going to think that there's something more nefarious there. But I truly believe he was erring on the side of safety. I think he overcompensated. I think he overreacted. I think he overthought the situation and uh, didn't need to, especially when you're out front by that many. And uh, ultimately, I think the horse uh, would have won. And I think he should have been penalized for that because I don't believe the public um, was given a fair shake in that race by the jockey, even the one intentionally. And I think the regulator, in my opinion, should have fined and suspended him quite substantially, quite heavily. I don't want to say exactly what he should have got, but uh, some version of, uh, of significant penalty should have come his way because at the core of anything in a race, I'm all for safety, believe me, but you can't affect the outcome of a race so meaningfully and what is ultimately technically intentionally and, you know, even though God bless your earring on the side of safety. And uh, I, I just felt the public deserved a better uh, outcome from that, even though they wouldn't have cashed their tickets. But maybe there would have been a little bit of satisfaction if the jockey had been penalized for his actions. And uh, I think the regulator got it wrong. And obviously they don't well, agree with me. And I can't uh, I can't change their decision. Well, I certainly appreciate you uh, addressing that, Darren. And uh, again, you know, Mike McIntyre did a big piece today on it uh, on yep. the uh, uh, in the Winnipeg Free Press, and people can check that out if they wish. And um, you know, at a certain point, it is out of your hands. I mean, you guys have done everything you can. And um, well, uh, I don't think there'll be much incompetence on Monday night because it's the best of the best, the biggest race of the year. What is it? The seventy seventh running of the uh, Manitoba seventy four seventy four running of the Derby. Uh, of course, things get going at 7.30 p.m., and it will be race six. Uh, Darren, you gathered the media together yesterday to uh, roll it out, fill us in on this eight-horse field for uh, the biggest prize in Manitoba horse racing every year. 
Yeah, so a lot of history, as you mentioned. I mean, it goes all the way back to 1930 when the first uh, edition was run at Polo Park Racetrack. As in, for those who don't realize, Polo Park Shopping Mall actually used to be a huge racetrack in Winnipeg at that time on the far western outskirts of Winnipeg. And, uh, you know, even though it's a shopping mall now, they retained the name Polo Park. That came from the fact that it used to be a racetrack named Polo Park Racetrack. 74 versions of it. Uh, I got to tell you, first and foremost, I am thrilled to have eight horses go to post. It's there's no guarantee hustler in, um, you know, the field size you get. I do know this. I understand uh, racing metrics very well, and I hyperanalyze every aspect of my operation. Um, plain and simple, the bigger the fields, the more wagering there is. So um, I've seen $500,000 races, million-dollar races that have four- and five-horse fields. So to put up 100000 which is a lot for us, but not an enormous amount in the spectrum of the whole industry and certainly across Canada and the United States and North America – um, so to get eight is is wonderful. And and what a field it is. I, I'll say this in just a quick review of it. Pray for peace. Uh, heavy morning line favorite at seven to five. So two dollars to win will get you about four dollars and forty cents if the horse wins. Won the prep for this, the Manitoba Derby trial, and won it like for fun with ease. A um, couple of horses in that race were compromised and they're looking for revenge here. So I'm glad that they've come back to say, let me, let me take another crack at them. They were hammered out of the gate. It's unfortunate. Sometimes they're horses, they're not machines. Um, you know, jockeys aren't perfect in the saddle. And we just talked about an example of that, but out of the gate, uh, a couple of horses for trainer, Robert D Robertino Diodoro got significantly compromised, great escape and uh, Clancy's pistol. And they just got slammed out of the gate and they lost all chance in the Derby trial. So I'll say this, though, uh, Pray for Peace won easy, had a lot left, a horse they purchased for 80000 U.S. out of Churchill Downs. So uh, the owner out of Texas, Henry Witt Jr., stepped up, and he's been the leading owner at Assiniboy Downs for five years in a row. Uh, his trainer is our top trainer, Jerry Gorno, who's going for his third straight trainer title. But it's the one thing on their bucket list they don't have. They don't have a Manitoba Derby together, and this is easily their best shot. But... You know, it's a horse race and anybody can win. Even Robertina Diodoro, the trainer of three, he's putting three in the race. He's won this race three times, three for that matter, three of the last five years. And he knows what it takes to win. So great escape in Clancy's pistol, came early, tested the derby trial. Again, as I mentioned, got compromised. You'll see more out of them. And then the uh, some local connections went through Diodoro to buy a horse at a church announced for 50000 U.S. just at the beginning of July named Red Knobs. And this horse is a monster. Uh, you know, there's a local horse by the name of uh, Strong Belief, won two in a row, bred probably the best in the field to run this distance of ground. It's the longest uh, distance we run in the entire uh, year in our season. Um, so he's going to love the distance of this race. Uh, he's up against the stiffest competition he's ever had. But when it's, if you want to do that whole holistic thing, Strong Belief is actually partially owned by the estate of Harvey Warner, my, my chair that I lost unexpectedly in March. Um, the fact that on a day, and here's the whole you know, uh, effect around it that you could kind of look beyond what you see on paper. The name of the horse is Strong Belief. Uh, it's owned uh, partially by the state of Harvey. Uh, and it's on a day when we're recognizing him with the first ever Harvey Warner stake. So you want to go down that road of, uh, you know, from above, uh, you could certainly back that and uh, have a spiritual shot at winning the Derby. And this horse will be a long shot, but we'll be flying late down the lane. So a lot, a lot to choose. I don't mean to ramble on about it, Hustler, but it's uh, it's wide open. It's interesting. It should be a good one. I'm thrilled to have so many go in the gate. And 
again, for me, just get them around there safely. I don't bet on them. I don't own them. I don't breed them, but I care about everybody involved. And I want the fans to have a tremendous experience on a day that, you know, most circle is the one and maybe only time they'll come out during the season. Well, I'm uh, looking forward to getting out there. And I know many of our uh, viewers and listeners will be as well. We've got a little afternoon tea time with the fellas down at Breezy, and then we'll make our way down and not at all. Be, uh, it'll all get ready for race six, the uh, 74th running of the Manitoba Derby. And uh, tell you what, making our picks with Remus every day on the show, Darren, I've got a much better eye on all of these horses. So i uh, <laughs> got a couple days to make the selections Good. and get at it. Hey, just quickly, uh, quickly for, for people that maybe haven't been out to the track, they've heard us talk about it, they maybe have checked it out on YouTube. Um, just very quickly, what do people need to know if they are going to make their maiden voyage out to the track for the Derby on Monday night? Well, first of all, uh, in this time of inflationary uh, extreme, <laughs> Free parking, free admission. So uh, walk right in. It's going to be a beautiful day by all accounts, 25 degrees. Um, you know, there's so many places to watch the race. Our terrace dining room buffet is sold out, but our clubhouse is air-conditioned. You can head up there, lots of places to watch the race. You can go up to our open-air grandstand, which I would argue has the best view of the entire racetrack and an incredible view of the city of Winnipeg. Or grab a picnic table or a program uh, and uh, grab a bench and, and watch the race there. I encourage people to take the time to watch the horses be saddled over at the paddock on the north part of our property. It's fun to be able to watch them and get a feel for the horses really up close. And uh, from that standpoint, whether you handicap, and if you don't understand what that means, uh, how to basically uh, pick one horse over the other by reading all of the uh, information of the race program, we have a fan education center with a couple of great ambassadors who will walk you through the program, uh, explain everything, um, tell you where to go around the building to have the best experience. So, again, pick a name, pick a color, bet your house numbers, handicap the race by reading the information. There's so many ways to go at it. Uh, but uh, you can enjoy the day in, in a robust way in a lot of ways. And uh, so many places to watch the race are out there and uh, and have a little fun. We have family fun returning that night. If you bring in the kids, uh, bouncy castles and et cetera, et cetera. Um, sweepstakes, enter your name. Uh, we're going to draw some people. Well, eight horses, eight people are going to be drawn. We're going to put a $100 win ticket on the horse we draw you to. Um, you know, so if you're a $2 better, you might have a Willy Wonka golden ticket experience waving a $100 win bet on a horse around and uh, and that horse wins. You cash the ticket and keep the money. So um, things like that. A couple other great stakes races there as well. Should be a full day. And again, it fits people with lake life as well. So head to the lake, enjoy the long weekend, but then do the downs when you're uh, planning to come home from the lake. And uh, Monday night, we'll uh, we'll do it up big time. The main event of the long weekend is Monday night, race six, Manitoba Derby and a Derby day at the track. Darren, we'll look forward to seeing you. Thanks so much for the time and have a great weekend. Looking forward to it, man. Thanks. Appreciate the, uh, the chance to chat. All right. Great stuff from Darren Dunn. Looking forward to uh, looking forward to the Derby on Monday night. And uh, yes, I saw you BA mentioning if you could have only seen the look on my face watching that infamous race last week with King Wit um, should be great. Anyways, listen, long weekend is here. You know, what goes great with the long weekend, some great little Brown jug beers, and they got an awesome deal for you heading into the long weekend. Buy two good times variety packs and get a $15 gift card. Um, so essentially you pop down to the, uh, this is a, in at the brewery and tap room on William Avenue. If you go in there, get a couple good, uh, good times variety packs for the weekend and you get a $15 gift card that you can use online at littlebrownjug.ca or in the tap room. This offer goes until July 31st at midnight, no coupon code necessary. 
Um, so pop down and uh, maybe you can probably check it out online as well. Uh, but the best spot to do it is, and you can try all their great beers as well, down at Little Brown Jug on William Avenue. Um, the Knot Gang's ready for the weekend. Uh, our friends at Knot Autocorp, uh, obviously big sponsors, the Bombers. And I know Trevor's fired up for the game, but um, their main game is getting Manitobans into amazing vehicles at the best possible price. Why not get into the car of your dreams? Had a great deal with the help of the Knot team. Pop down and see him at Waverly and McGilvery and check out all the great vehicles on the lot. Or if there's one in particular, a make and model, you look and let them know and they'll get it to Winnipeg for you at the best possible price. You can also check them out online. 24-7 at not.ca. Uh, going to be hot tomorrow. I'm going to get out to the soccer game, I think, after doing the baseball tonight. Before or after, though, I'll be hitting one of the Nick and Nicky DQs, I can tell you that. Nothing makes the long weekend taste better than a great blizzard, maybe one of those delicious stack burgers. And, hey, if you're getting up some people over for a barbecue uh, on the weekend, why not step it up and get a DQ ice cream cake? God, they've got four locations, DQ Niverville, DQ Northgate, DQ Polo Park, and DQ St. Anne's. And if you do want to get a head start on a custom cake, hit them up on Instagram at DQ Manitoba, and they'll get that ready for you to go. And of course, as we mentioned, just talked to Darren Dunn, Assiniboia Downs is on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, live racing, but it's Manitoba Derby Day, Monday night. I'll be out there. Hope to see you there. All right, let's... uh. Get into a little bit of hockey talk right now with our good friend Marat Atesh, who joins us a little later on in the week than he normally does. Been a minute since we heard from Pierre-Luc Dubois, but uh, that certainly was the big story of the week. How are you, my friend? What's going on? Hey, I'm doing well. I, I love hearing this Valor FC talk. I mean, maybe that's the way to spend a long weekend. Well, I figured Winnipeg. it's perfect. It's a 2 p.m. game. So you go out. It's going to be gorgeous, 30 and sunny tomorrow afternoon. Watch the lads try and get three big points against Pacific and then uh, maybe go grab something to eat and set up shop somewhere to watch the Bombers hopefully get to 8-0 against the Calgary Stampeders. It's uh, some good options for us sports fans uh, for tomorrow. Yeah, no doubt. You're uh, just by just by talking about it, you're making you're selling me on the idea. <laughs> no wonder people sponsor through you. Well, you know what? And I mean, this is a hashtag not spawn, but uh, I mean, I've gotten more and more into soccer over the last few years, and we haven't had the opportunity to go out and actually see it. Um, you know, obviously, we've watched Canada and you know watched some of the big games on television, but I have just loved, and I, and I go with people that haven't been there before; they really enjoy it. The stadium's amazing for it. You got plenty of room to to uh, you know uh, stretch out or enjoy with your group, and obviously the fans in the trench really make for a great atmosphere as well. So I do tell folks that they haven't tried it yet. Get out and uh, check out a Valor FC game, and I think people will really enjoy it. We've got a lot of home games coming up. Actually, speaking of which, um, we'll have some more tickets for games on Wednesday and Sunday next week that will be given away on the program. Um, Marat, I, I, I do want to get to um, the big news of the day um, with John Klingberg signing. Um, but let's go back to Monday. I mean, you and uh, the team at The Athletic had spent quite a bit of time writing um, on the Dubois situation we knew that there was going to be uh, an attempt at sort of quieting the angst amongst Jet fans. Um, how do you think PLD did, and what did you uh, what did you take away from his media availability on Monday? Yeah, I think Pierre-Luc Dubois was in damage control mode and did a really good job of it, to be honest. I think that by saying that he didn't request a trade, um, he did the best that he could do on that front. Um, and certainly he refuted the report that he was at the draft specifically with intention or not with intentions, but with hopes or anticipation of being traded that night. 
as well. So that was an interesting one because with that report, um, you would have seen Martin Leclerc, uh, whose report that he had went to the draft anticipating to be traded, uh, was had gone around the horn. We took that at The Athletic with our various sources to a handful of people with knowledge of the situation. And, you know, eventually we were told that that was, in fact, the case, that it was uh, 100% true, that Montreal was interested, that he was at the draft, that it, he was at the draft even um, thinking that he would be traded. Now, that's an interesting one because nobody except for Pierre-Luc Dubois is in his mind, is in his head. So what he wants or what he thinks is is his to say and and no one else's. But I certainly thought that there was some truth to that, to hear him say that it's false. Um, that's his prerogative and his, his authority. I mean, he's he said that he attended because his bank sponsored uh, a box. He lives 10 to 15 minutes away from the arena. It was an easy thing for him. Um, and so I think that that becomes the objective truth of the matter because Pierre-Luc Dubois has, has said so. At the same time, uh, so my big takeaway was that was the one thing he refuted from the day. He didn't refute that he might like to play in Montreal someday. He didn't say that he'd like to stay in Winnipeg for several years. He didn't say he's not planning on testing the unrestricted free agency market. So that detail may uh, be false. I think that the overall story, the trend, this idea that, okay, well, by taking the one-year qualifying offer, by being in a position next summer to take an arbitration deal that walks him straight to unrestricted, unrestricted free agency, He's still a sticky wicket for the Winnipeg Jets moving forward. And I think that I left that media availability as sure of that as ever. Yeah, I, I, I'm right there with you on it. I mean, you know, from from my perspective, the one thing that I and I think most fans, you know, like to hear is that he seems like he's got a very good attitude about the situation going in. And, um, you know, it was quite clear that they'd made this decision before. I mean, whoever most likely his agent had leaked to Elliot Friedman that the plan was to you know, explore unrestricted free agency in two seasons. Um, and a lot of what happened Monday, I think, was really to try to quell the blowback from the very public flirtation by Pat Brisson with the Montreal uh, with the Montreal club. But I, I will say this, um, you know, with him taking the qualifying offer and, you know, expressing the excitement and optimism about going into the season, um, I think in the short term, um, that was the best thing and the most logical thing for him to say and hopefully follow through with. Because the one thing I think we can all agree on, um, even if you are of the mind like myself that this is going to end in a trade at some point for the Winnipeg Jets dealing to Pierre-Luc Dubois to Montreal or elsewhere, it is in everyone's best interest for Pierre-Luc Dubois to come out to have a great season, both for him and his future earnings and what contract he gets when he finally signs a long-term deal. And certainly from a Jets perspective, when it comes to being competitive this season, but also increasing his value for whenever that trade is made. 100% on all fronts. I mean, you look at the incentives here. There's not going to be a repetition of the shift like in Columbus before he was traded to Winnipeg. I know that that's a fear I've seen fans express. I have no expectation of that whatsoever. Pierre-Luc Dubois' attitude was right. Uh, His ability to come back into that room and do his best. I think that we've seen in the past with players who we knew were on their way out, such as Jacob Truba, who I think was well-known he wanted out. And Andrew Kopp, I expected for a long time uh, heading into this trade deadline that he wasn't going to re-sign either. These players can go in and have a positive impact on the team. And I think Pierre-Luc Dubois is in a great place to, to do that, especially if he plays alongside Kyle Connor again. 
the incentives are exactly as you laid out because Winnipeg gets a better asset, the better that Pierre-Luc Dubois plays. Pierre-Luc Dubois, in addition to making himself a more valuable trade asset, if you think about arbitration or you think about contract negotiations, when I talk to agents, they usually tell me that multiple repeated seasons of offensive success are what gets people paid. And if Pierre-Luc Dubois was going to hit arbitration this summer, you might look past this most recent successful season and at his first season as a Winnipeg Jet, that was a huge disappointment. Suddenly chain two of those back-to-back together, in addition to all those other years before that one-year blip, and this guy has the right to ask for quite a lot more money in arbitration or long-term or otherwise, whether he's in Winnipeg or has been traded at that point. That's uh, in his best interest for sure. Yeah, so, um, you know, I I imagine that, I mean, what happened on Monday, and I don't know how successful it was, but, you know, to quell the immediate angst and... uh, you know, maybe not have to go through all of that in under the bright lights of the beginning of training camp. So they're sort of getting ahead to it. Um, wh- when do you think, and I guess this is a really a difficult question to answer, but, um, you know, when something will happen. I mean, we were talking with Jeff earlier this week, and he said he still wouldn't be surprised if something happened before the start of the season. I sort of think the way things are reading the tea leaves, that that's less than likely. Um but in your opinion, if Dubois plays well this season, when is the best time for the Winnipeg Jets to move if they have come to the conclusion that at some point they're going to have to trade Pierre-Luc Dubois? If you want the hot take, it's next summer's draft. That's the easiest uh, solution on that front. We saw it with Jacob Truba a couple of years back. I am like you in this. I don't expect to trade between now and the start of the season. There is this minor... I I kept using the word pressure point or pinch point the last time I was on your show of of September at camp when teams are sorting out their rosters, all of those sorts of things. I think that the major pressures on those, even if even if in Montreal they're asking their GM about it every day at camp or even if in Winnipeg reporters are still asking about this topic. I don't think that's enough of a pressure point, especially with cap hits locked in, especially with the fact that Winnipeg doesn't owe him a trade to Montreal specifically. The pressure there is minor. The next point that you might see is the trade deadline. And the only way that Winnipeg trades him at the trade deadline is if the Jets have just collapsed, they're a world away from playoff contention, and there are contenders offering uh, major chips for Pierre-Luc Dubois as a two-year playoff rental. You saw what Sheldon Dayoff was able to do with Andrew Kopp as a one-year playoff rental. We've seen Blake Coleman and others in the years past Um, We've seen various defensemen get traded. I think McDonough was a two-year rental as well. You can get quite a lot for these players, especially if they're having a big, big year at the time. I think the Jets' goal is to be at least within striking distance of a playoff spot at that point. I mean, they're trying to sell fans, I think, on the optimism of walking it back and making the playoffs this year. So then the next obvious one is next offseason, because I sincerely believe that based on the not the words, but the actions so far in terms of contracts signed and not, I expect Pierre-Luc Dubois to file for arbitration next summer, which is the only thing he has to do to guarantee hitting unrestricted free agency as early as is possible, which is summer 2024. And I don't think that if you're Winnipeg, you want to mess with that. I think that that's a deal that gets made next summer. And at the draft, with draft picks in play, prospects in play, cap space, not an issue. I think that's the timeline that you might see resolution for good on that front. Any thought on why he just signed the qualifying offer? 
I mean, I, I was surprised just that I'm pretty sure there would be more money left on the table, even if they, you know, even if they had the arbitration date and had to negotiate getting closer to that to avoid it and sort of tone down the temperature of what had been going on. Yeah, you know what? I've asked around about that because it's a curious decision. It's also a curious timeline because the qualifying offer get made, got made official, got announced on Monday of one week. And Dubois signed it, or that became official, Friday of the following week. That's a substantial break in time. Um, and so I wonder to myself, why? Was he waiting for something? Is there a theoretical hope that there's an offer sheet, even as unlikely as those typically are? Um, that's a curious thing. But why do it at all? Why one year, six million qualifying offer? Um, and that's where this idea of arbitration and multiple consecutive years of offensive excellence comes from for me. I think that there was a thought that in a one-year deal or in a two-year deal, if for some reason Winnipeg chose that route, that maybe $6 million was close to what he was going to get anyways. If there was a difference, it was not enormous. And that surprises me because I value the player at more than $6 million. But I think that there was a concern that arbitration in and of itself um, was not going to make so much more than $6 million for the player that leaving that window of perhaps an offer sheet or any of that sort of stuff open seemed to be worth it at the time. And that's my best guess. Yeah, I think you're uh, you're on to that as well. And, you know, and again, part of the reason why the Jets didn't elect for the arbitration, as you had mentioned, is, you know, I think to, you know, cool things down a little bit, the temperature. But, um, you know, for all that being said, I guess that's happened in the short term with this particular situation. Um, you know, listening to the fans in this on this program each and every day, um, you know, while the goal of the Jet, goals of the Jets are to, you know, improve and get back to where I think people thought they were capable of being last year in that disappointing season, uh, there hasn't been much positive happened so far for the Jets. I mean, you've lost Paul Stastny, you've lost Eric Comrie, Svechnikov's gone without any significant additions. And Marat, the, the clock is ticking. We're going to be into August after this weekend. Um, a traditionally very slow time. Um, is there still time for Kevin Chevalier to accomplish what he wants to do this offseason? Or is the market, and we'll get to what the market told us about the John Klingberg deal uh, in a minute, um, is the market essentially handcuffing general managers, especially one here in Winnipeg, to maybe potentially change the plan? Um, because at some point, there are some new bodies that need to get in here, and we know about the surplus on the blue line, regardless of what the situation with Blake Wheeler is. Yeah, it's an interesting one, because I do think that they're in a difficult spot. I mean, their most likely trade chip is, is Blake Wheeler, and I think that you know, I've heard that since the draft, I mean, they were shopping him fairly aggressively at that point, aside from being willing to eat a substantial amount of money on that deal. Um, so that's an that's an interesting one for me. Um, I don't think that that in and of itself should hamper the Winnipeg Jets because they still have, you know, even with Mason Appleton's arbitration date, our August 11th, if he comes in at around $2 million, I could see about $3 million or so of flexibility, even with Wheeler on the roster, and even with all the veteran defensemen on the roster as well. And you've seen over the years that when teams desperately want to get out of a contract, they can. If they truly believe that any of their players are albatross contracts, whether it's retaining salary, um, which maybe ownership wouldn't necessarily be willing to do, or, um, or training players for less than what they're worth, time and time again, we see that you can move the Milan Lucic's of the world if, if it comes to it. And I don't think that Wheeler or Nate Schmidt or Brendan Dillon or any of these players are approaching that. So 
if there's a lack of action on Winnipeg's part, it's not necessarily because it's impossible to do what they might like to do, but I think that the approach is a little bit more down the middle, down, you know, mainstream. Uh, and there's a certain amount of, I don't know, big swings or ambition or, or creativity that it would take to reshape things. Um, and so I believe Kevin Dayoff when he says that he thinks that he can win or Winnipeg can compete for the playoffs with the roster that it has. I believe that that's his true opinion of the matter and that any tweaks will be in and around this 3 million mark. Um, that could be bad news for Billy Hanel, Dylan Sandberg, other players looking for minutes on this team. But of course we have a new coaching staff in town as well. And we'll see what they have to say on the matter. I sincerely think that barring a Wheeler trade moves will be relatively minor at this point. Yeah. Now, the thing about the Wheeler trade, and, and we were kind of chopping this up yesterday on the program, is that um, I know they don't have an appetite to take on a you know a, you know just basically eat a bunch of salary and pay Blake to you know score goals and uh, you know put up points for another team. You'd like to have some sort of return, but at the same time, Marat, we're talking about a league where Max Pacioretty, with just one year left at seven million dollars, just got basically traded for future considerations. So I think it maybe is harder. Um, Certainly, if you're not if you're not maintaining any salary um, that we've seen before, and I don't think you can possibly make an argument that that makes the Jets better on the ice next year. Um, it's quite clear that this trade and the discussions about it partly might be that he was looking for a change of scenery. But I think from the team's perspective, is all about the culture, the leadership group, the dressing room, and all of that. And um, because, as I said, you can't make the argument that taking a guy that scores and has been as productive as he has been, despite playing a lot, um, if he's odd on what you would get back in that sort of a trade is going to make the Jets better on the ice, at least on paper. Um, which then brings me to the question, if this doesn't happen and you've already been at that spot, how difficult of a situation is that maybe putting a guy like Rick Bonus in before he's even done a practice here in Winnipeg with the team that had their their fair share of issues internally last season is pretty clear. Well, Winnipeg doesn't need to get rid of a middle six capable forward who can play on the power play and be effective there for free. Like in terms of his on ice value, that's not something that Winnipeg needs to do. It needs another middle six forward who can, who can score and succeed on the power yeah. play more so than it needs to get rid of one for nothing. And that sticker shock of Pacioretty, like you just named, you know, could be something that's hitting the team as well as, I mean, I don't think that they make decisions this way, but in terms of saving face, they made a, a long-term $8.25 million bet on this player and on this human being. That's effectively what that contract extension was. It was saying, this is the guy uh, with whom we can compete for the Stanley cup before 2024. Um, and then to be giving that player away for essentially nothing, that's not a lot of face saved by the organization, I think, or by, you know, if you're trying to do right by Blake Wheeler and, and you know, here's trading Winnipeg's captain, you don't get much, if anything, for return. That's an awkward situation. So then you look at, can you run it back, as is the phrase of the summer, and get value for him on the ice? And I think what you need to see in Winnipeg, um, and this can come from coaching. Blake Wheeler doesn't coach, though he is certainly a strong personality within that room. Um, I think Blake Wheeler is a second line or a third line at times player at five on five at this stretch based on his offensive production and based on his, you know, he used to be a fairly highly rated defensive player as well, but he's not having that impact anymore. Can he do that and accept it 
and cheer for it and not be sour grapes and not have an impact on youth in that room and maintain and sort of maintain a welcoming nature towards all of those young players that he spent the last several seasons whenever things were going wrong. We're still a young team. We're still a young team, even when objectively they were a middle of the road or even an older team in the NHL at different times. And, you know, he may hold different private beliefs than what he said publicly. It just seems like youth has been an easy scapegoat for him over the last year, uh, several years. And it's just tough to see, you know, it's tough to see, um, that transition being self-motivated. So that makes Rick Bonus's job tough. Can you uh, can you do with Wheeler what you did with, you know, Sagan and Ben or what have you in Dallas? And I think that Wheeler's probably a stronger personality than that. I think that there's probably more of a stubborn determination in that, at least if media presence is to be um, trusted. Of course, that's not always the same. Behind closed doors, it can be different. So that's a tough spot to be in. You're asking the coach to do something that is conceivably within his grasp. It's not impossible, but it sounds hard. And it's hard for me to sit here and say, if they did all of that, if they returned everybody exactly as it's listed today, do I see a playoff team? Gosh, man, that's difficult. Well, and the other side of it, I mean, you know, if you, like me, I mean, believe that the intention of making a move of Blake Wheeler was to turn over the leadership core, to open up the captaincy for another player, or maybe just have it open and, you know, see how it develops and who sort of steps up in. And obviously the Dubois, uh, you know, if he had signed an eight-year deal, he would have been a guy we'd be talking about that might be in the mix. Um, there's nothing really clear right now about that. But if, but knowing that that was the case, and I think that was obviously the impetus for the majority of these discussions, if that doesn't happen and Wheeler is back and most of the suspects, uh, usual suspects from last year are there, um, you know, you do wonder if he's where's the C? Do they... Or do they just start off basically where they were last year? Everyone's got a clean slate. Rick Bonus is here and and go forward. I'm. I'll say this: whether that works or not, I can tell you that that will not inspire a lot of confidence and optimism amongst players, amongst fans that watched the 82 games last season. Yeah, absolutely not. And I, I would understand that. If you're looking for reasons to believe that this team is going to transform its goal differential, that it's going to get that much better at defense, that all of that public stuff we heard at the end in those exit interviews is going to go away. I don't think running it back gives you a lot of confidence in that way. So, you know, I started to go down this thought process too. Who could be the next captain in Winnipeg? Would it be a simple elevation of Josh Morrissey or Mark Scheifele? Could Adam Lowry find himself wearing a letter as well? I think that there he's somebody I could see emerging as a, as a letter wearer in, in Winnipeg's future. Um, but then you look at it just like on the ice. If you're trying to figure out how this team is going to be good, the number one thing that Winnipeg needs to do is allow less goals, spend less time in its own zone. Um, you're going to get likely a little bit of regression from Connor Hellebuck. And by regression, I mean a regression upwards, a more impressive season than you got last season. Um, that's not a guarantee, but that's an easy way to shave some goal differential in your direction. You also hope that Rick Bonus, his veteran coach who's been around, who's seen it all, who's nonplussed by all of this, actually can have a positive impact on Winnipeg's defensive structure and the amount of plans that they have and the amount of routes that they run and the amount of transition hockey that they can play as well. Because he had a above average team defensively in Dallas. Scoring was the issue. Uh, defending was not so much. And so you're putting an awful lot of weight on that coach. It seems to be doable. If you believe that Brendan Dillon, Nate Schmidt, and the other additions from last summer are quality, if you believe in Morrissey and Pionk and a Pionk regression as well, 
there are reasons to think you can move some goals, some goal differential in the right direction. But even with some wins in both of that, in goaltending and defense, strictly based on bonus as a coach, I still think that you're flirting with that playoff cut line. Yeah, well, and listen, I mean, I just back to the entire, um, I guess, hypothesis of the potential Wheeler trade. I mean, that was a trade that was to change something significant and fix it. And if that is not the case and it doesn't happen, you know, where does that leave the team going forward? And as far as guys that would be next up, I mean, uh, you know, I mean, Morrissey obviously has the 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 term of the contract and would be a, a logical guy. I think Adam Lowry makes the most sense, you know, as almost like if you recall in 1.0, a Chris King type of player. I mean, he's not your top line guy, but he's incredibly respected, loved by his teammates. You know what you get from him every night and, you know, would be a guy. Um, I think the the amount of time that they would consider Mark Shifley as being that guy if they were moving over right now would be about a nanosecond considering last uh, last season. It is hilarious how, you know, we've been talking about Pierre-Luc Dubois and the Wheeler situation, but, I mean, we can't forget the way the season ended and what we heard from Mark Shifley. I mean, as much as there's going to be a big spotlight on those other two guys, for me personally, the guy that I want to hear from the most and actually see put action behind hopefully words that we want to hear is 55 when this season gets going because he, over all of the others, is probably has the ability to be the most impactful player if he is engaged like that. And on the other side of things, if he's not, like we saw at times last season, it has an absolutely terrible effect on the rest of the team, in my opinion. Oh, I agree with that wholeheartedly. I mean, it is a problem when your most capable player is so far from being your best player. I think that that is it for me. I mean, We've heard for a couple of seasons now, Mark Shifley talk a confident, good, solid game defensively. Oh, you know, you know, you don't get rewarded every time, he says, but when you hustle back, you can turn that into offense and you just have to keep doing the right thing over and over again. And we've heard him say that for multiple off seasons and we haven't seen it happen. We just absolutely have not seen it happen. Even with the, there should be an acknowledgement of his COVID impacted start and, and all that other stuff at the beginning of last season. But as the year went on and things got derailed and um, you saw more and more of that cheat in his game and, you know, staying above the puck in his defensive zone more and more often, being also on screen in when his man's the one going in and getting rebounds and scoring. I mean, the the video of Mark Scheifele's season does not show a defensively engaged player. And for the first half of the season, it doesn't show an offensively successful one, even though he was trying as hard as he could um, he wasn't scoring. And only in that stretch, only right before he got hurt, coming out of the All-Star break, was everything going in for him and his teammates when he was setting them up. And it reminded us of the guy that he can be, that coast-to-coast goal against Colorado. You were reminded, wait a second, Mark Shifley can do things that other players can't. So I don't know if he was just bad bounces, exhaustion, fatigue, this behind-the-scenes stuff. I don't know if he was just looking around at Dave Lowry's defensive schemes and offensive schemes and thinking, oh, man, this isn't this doesn't make sense to me. Um, You know, it seemed from afar and again saying I'm not in this player's head. I haven't even asked him about it. I haven't talked to Mark Shifley since his last interview with the Winnipeg Jets media. Right. But it seemed like a player who was pouting. It seemed like a player who was looking at a difficult situation and not taking it upon himself to be the answer to solve it. And. Yes, the Jets need him in a huge way right now, especially with uncertainty with respect to Dubois. Um, But I can easily imagine us hitting September camp, asking all these questions about what happened last year and all of that, getting the right answer, getting the got to back check 200 feet, you know, new coach. Okay, great. 
And then what happens when things get hard midseason? Is this player going to consistently show up for his teammates and back check like a Paul Stastny would back check or you know what I mean in that front? The the error bars on guessing how positively impactful Mark Shifley will be this year are wide. It could be anything. Marana Tesh of The Athletic with us here on Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Um, quickly, before we go, i got to ask you, what did you make of uh, Klingberg? A one-year deal at $7 million to a team that will not be contending for the Cup next year. Um, Remo had a great description. It's almost like Anaheim is buying a first, a future first round pick because he in all likelihood is going to be traded at the deadline. But, you know, for a guy that was pretty much at the top of a very thin group of defensemen for him to sign for only one year with the Anaheim ducks is, uh, is shocking. And I think that's further evidence that this cap crunch for so many teams is really, it's not just the, the lower class of the free agent group. It's even impacting top guys on the list like Klingberg. And of course, Kadri that hasn't signed yet. Yeah, you know what? This is this is a good point. And where I would start my guess is the percentage of total cap hit used up league-wide today, this year versus last year versus historically. And, you know, obviously coming out of 2020, fan revenue being hit quite a lot, pandemic impacting so much revenue on all this front, we've seen sort of an artificially restricted cap growth in a way that we haven't seen in ages and ages and ages. And I think at the front end of that, because it won, it was almost impossible to anticipate, but also because, you know, spenders are what they are, especially on free agency days, is I think that people spent into that space um, probably like substantially enough to eat away at that cap space league wide. Does Is that why Klingberg was sort of squeezed out in that way? Maybe. Is that what is happening with Kadri? Maybe. But I believe you, like I, without having done the homework to prove that a higher percentage of the cap has been used up at this point, I believe it. I absolutely do. And I think that um, teams, like I say, spent into that space disproportionately uh, early on in this and now um, are sort of being made to pay for that. Good for Anaheim, though, because there's some research that says that you know, that, that tries to attach a dollar figure to first round picks and things like that in terms of wealth. So if that's their play, maybe they're onto something. Yeah. Well, I mean, Klinger is going to be a, a, an asset that a lot of playoff bound teams would uh, like to add. They probably can't do it right now. They didn't feel comfortable with the long term, but they'll have an opportunity to get him, albeit as a rental later on at the end of the season. Marat, thanks so much for doing this. Have a wonderful long weekend. Right on, us. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Give him a follow on Twitter at WPG Marat and make sure you're subscribing and reading to all of his work in The Athletic. All right, still to come, we will do a marble race heading into the long weekend at the end of the program. Uh, we're going to have the Hacksaw join us in just a couple minutes. Uh, of course, great CFL game tonight. BC and the Riders, and then tomorrow it's Bombers, Calgary. No better spot to get together with uh, you and your gang to watch the big game than your local Boston pizza. Check out their great new summer menu featuring the Carnitas Tacos and Pizzas. Pizza flights are back as well. And, of course, their great happy hour specials seven days a week. And if you're staying at home watching the game, check out their game day deals and order online at bostonpizza.com. And, uh, Tell you what goes great with the weekend, the uh, drink of the summer, the new Canadian club ready to drink CC and ginger ale. Um, I know lots of people were sipping them at a super spike last week out at the stampede, the last bomber game, uh, wherever you're going this weekend, pop by, grab a six pack at your local beer store or Manitoba liquor marts and uh, up your cocktail game 
in the simplest way possible with the ready to drink CC and ginger. By the way, uh, WST Audio Gremlin yesterday won the Valor tickets. We have not heard from the WST Audio Gremlin. So if you do want to go to the Valor game tomorrow, uh, just send a quick email to winnipegsportstalk at gmail.com. Just put Valor tickets in the uh, in the subject line and we'll pick a winner after the show and I'll fire off a pair of tickets courtesy of our friends at Canadian Club. And of course, if you're at the game tomorrow afternoon, you can grab a CC and ginger ale while you watch Valor FC take on Pacific. All right, we'll get to the cool bet lines in a minute. But right now, let's welcome in the return of the legend himself. Lee Hacksaw Hamilton. NFL training camps are underway in all 32 venues. And the Hacksaw's back on WST. How's the summer been, my friend? Get away at all? Hey, Hustler. Hustler, nice to hear from you. Uh, Things are going well. Glad to celebrate Beer Friday with you now that we're back in with the NFL Notebook segments. And busy time. You're... No, I'm covering the NFL, but I'm also covering baseball and the pennant races and the trading deadline and the NBA and NBA, NHL free agency. There's always things to cover out here, including the defection of UCLA and USC to the Big Ten and college football. So there's a ton of stuff to talk yeah. about. The college football, I mean, I can't even wrap my head around what's happened to the landscape of that. I mean, that we'd take an hour conversation just to do that. And by the way, if you're looking for something good to uh, be watching on the tube, uh, I guess 6 o'clock our time, 4 o'clock West Coast time tomorrow, ESPN2. Bombers looking to go 8-0 against the Calgary Stampeders. will be great. Hey, listen, before we get to the NFL, you just mentioned baseball. I have to ask you this, Lee. There's been lots of talk about Soto potentially being on the move from the Nationals after turning down that $400-plus million contract. We've heard in the last 24 hours that potentially Shohei Otani, the unicorn, could potentially be traded. Is that just smoke right now, or is there some reality behind that, do you think? Well, topic A is correct. Soto is going to be traded by Tuesday's 3 p.m. West Coast time trading deadline. We don't know whether it's going to be to San Diego, whether it's going to be to the Dodgers, whether it might be possibly to the St. Louis Cardinals have kind of entered the fray. Topic B, Angels were taking phone calls on Otani. I don't think they want to sell him. I don't think they want to trade him. They're a miserable mess with injuries. They have no pitching. But they do have he and they do have Mike Trout and they got a ton of young arms that they're trying to fast forward in the farm system. Uh, Angels are a deplorable product on the field right now. They've had so many injuries. Uh, It's just hopeless. Uh, But that being said, that's a great player. It's a generational player. It's a lifetime player. He's doing what Babe Ruth was the last one to do. You know, he's got a his batting average is 256 with 23 home runs. His ERA is 2.81 as a two positional player, Andrew. Uh, I don't think the Angels would move him because he's beloved in Anaheim. I think the other thing is this is finances. I mean, the amount of money that the Angel baseball franchise generates in the Pacific Rim in sponsorships, advertising, et cetera, is phenomenal. So I, I don't, as, as dreary as their roster is, as lousy as the season has been, I don't think they're going to trade Otani. So that's, that's topic A, that's topic B. All right. Uh, I can tell you there was a lot of, I mean, fans of every team just thinking of what the potential of getting that guy in the lineup. I mean, it's one of those things. Do what you have to do. And uh been some interesting conversations of what the Blue Jays might be able to get to Otani and the impact that a player like that would have on the franchise outside of the market as well. Uh, but, Lee, let's get to the National Football League. Lots of talk, uh, quarterback talk around the league. Um, what is happening in Cleveland? 
Um, Deshaun, what is Deshaun Watson's situation? Why have we not heard of a suspension yet, considering everything that's happened over the course of the past two years? Well, it's it's a very valid question. It's a very complex answer. He is in Cleveland's camp. He is in classroom work. He is taking snaps. He's going to get suspended. Uh, this is out of the hands of the National Football League and Roger Goodell. This is in the hands of the NFL discipline officer, uh, that judge, Sue Ro uh, Roberts. Uh, she's going to hand down the ruling. Now, she held three days of hearings a couple weeks ago where oh, the lawyers representing Deshaun Watson made their case heard. The NFL made their investigation heard. She's taken all that information. Then she took uh, briefs from each of the two lawyers. The arguing point is not what he did, but how many people and how egregious what he did is. And the NFL is mandating a one-year suspension, and they're calling it indefinite. He would have to, he would have to appeal his reinstatement. The union representing the player is of the opinion that he was not indicted by two grand juries. He was not charged by police with anything. He's made out-of-court settlements. So therefore, he's not guilty of anything except maybe bad judgment. NFL views it really differently. Uh, the, the union wants no suspensions, just because of what I said about the legal aspect. The NFL wants one year plus the fact he has to appear before the commissioner for reinstatement. And somewhere in between, that judge has to make that decision. The big issue, as it was explained to me, is they had negotiated. They had talked, well, maybe not a year, but maybe not zero, maybe in the middle, eight. The NFL evidently, I was told, proposed eight-game suspension. You waive the right to appeal. The union said, no, 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 no. It's in the collective bargaining agreement. Whatever the discipline is, we can appeal it. NFL came back and said, no, no, this is a negotiated settlement. You're agreeing to eight games. You have to waive the appeal. They said, no. The other reason why the NFL wants the word indefinite put into this equation is they're fearful that there are other women out there. We know of 26. There's a report there may be as many as 66, some of whom still might come forward. Under Article 46 of the NFL Collective Bargaining Agreement, a player disciplined for an incident, a crime, whatever, can only be disciplined one time. So if the league agrees to eight games or the league gets the one year and then he's reinstated, if 66 women show up suddenly and say, yeah, he did it to me too, NFL has no recourse. They can't go back in and penalize him a second time. I sense that's why this thing has been so dragged out. Complex answer. It's gonna, it has to come to a head pretty quickly. Uh, and I, I would think by maybe next Friday when the, when the preseason games begin, Watson's going to get a suspension. The length, well, they tried to negotiate. It didn't work. I got to believe it's eight games to one year at least. You think there's buyer's remorse uh, on the Browns' part right now, considering, I mean, they haven't even got to a game yet, but, I mean, ever since they made this deal and gave up so much to get him, um, it's been one problem after another, and all of the issues that he had when they traded for him are still there, if not worse. Unresolved. That's the big issue. Do they have any remorse? No, they're pretty arrogant. They're hmm. going to get him. They're going to wind up getting him for five years under contract at mega pay once he gets suspended and then serves it and it gets reinstated. But, you know, going forward, good luck, Cleveland Browns fan. We're angry before. Think about this year. Now you got Jacoby Brissett and Josh Dobbs as your quarterbacks in the NFL. Now they got a great defense, but defense can't play 60 minutes a game. So this is a really messy situation. 
And under the personal conduct policy, and that, that involves everything, that involves DUI, that involves domestic abuse, that could involve robbery, it obviously could involve drug dealing. But this is so egregious that he did this for such a long period of time. The fact that the Houston Texans kind of got dragged into it as being one of his enablers, and Houston settled 20 of the lawsuits out of court themselves uh, that they've been named in. This is just, it's, it's a terrible, terrible look for Deshaun Watson, the person. It's a terrible blow, I think, to the Cleveland Browns as a franchise. But they're going to go ahead and play, and they got a great defense, and somebody will have to quarterback the team, but it probably won't be Deshaun Watson at least the first half of the season. Lee Hacksaw Hamilton with us here on WST. Um, a lot's been made of Kyler Murray's new contract. Now, um, the amount of money that he got, the years, I think it's a risk, but you know how important that position is. Uh, but that addendum in the contract about the uh, the study requirements, um, I think it's quite clear what it says about the player and what their concerns were going forward. Um, why did they take it out of the contract? Is that just saving face? And um, what what are your thoughts on the investment that this team's made in Kyler Murray, considering what we've seen and heard in the past and what was in the deal that they signed? Hustler in the NFL. If you got a good quarterback, good for you. If you don't have a good quarterback, good luck trying to find one. It's a quarterback's league. That's why everybody's making the kind of money they're making at that position. And every contract with some new star is above what the last star got. Uh, Murray's a really good football player. Now, the whole pile of things that go under that. Murray has not played well at the end of each of the last couple of seasons. But that that's an organizational thing. I think that's a... That's a head coach Cliff Kingsbury thing. Uh, they put better players around him. He's got to stay healthy. Uh, got to protect him. He needs to stop running the football. He'll probably do that just because he's been so banged up a couple years in a row. But the clauses, you're right. I mean, it's kind of a it's an indictment coming out of left field about the player not being a student of the game has to be a student of the game. I guess it stuns me that quote this got out that there was a study hall clause in there. <laughs> that he had to spend four additional hours with coaches in film. Not, not what he does Monday through Thursday, four additional hours. So it's, it's a pretty significant condemnation about game prep. And you would think this deep into his career, he'd be a much more student of the game rather than just relying on athleticism. And it, it was weird that that leaked out. Now they've kind of eradicated it. So it'll probably go away. It'll resurface if, if their win loss record isn't real good. And, if you track back the end of the season records of that head coach, not only with Arizona, but prior to that, Texas Tech, it's absolutely stunning. It's like 9-41 and 41 at the end of the seasons, the last three years in college and what happened in the NFL. Uh, Lee, I'm fascinated in what happens in San Francisco. We heard Kyle Shanahan say that they're going forward with Trey Lance, who they traded all those picks to draft as the number one QB. They were very complimentary with Jimmy Garoppolo uh, with what he's done for the franchise. And, of course, Jimmy is coming back from off-season surgery. Is this as simple as Jimmy Garoppolo is now a backup in the National Football League, or will he have a new home for a QB-needy team at some point in the future? Well, I think in terms of Trey Lance, everybody's spoken volumes of positive things about him is his approach, leadership ability, obviously his athletic skill. Now we'll find out whether, the, the, you know, this This is all true. Uh, the Garoppolo situation, they owe him one year, $25 million, but it's not guaranteed. 
They're holding on to him right now, A, because he's not 100% healthy. He's got to pass somebody's physical. He is throwing. He's throwing on the side. He's at practice, but he's not at practice. He's throwing on the side. So far, so good from what, what I've been told in, in terms of the rehab. They're holding on to him because he's a mini asset. And they gave his agent about 10 days ago permission to seek a trade. So the agent went to the NFL clubs. I think Seattle was one of them. And I think Seattle told them, we're not paying $25 million for Jimmy Garoppolo. He needs to take a big pay cut. He needs to restructure down like Baker Mayfield did when Mayfield went from Cleveland to Carolina. That was his exit visa by agreeing to take restructure down. If, if Garoppolo is willing to get down to $10 million and then pack the contract with bonuses, then maybe there's some type of conditional trade made for a sixth or a seventh round pick. If not, counts against Frisco's cap, but Frisco can release them and not have any salary cap hits. I think everybody's playing the waiting game, but I was told Seattle made the first call. I think Houston is back in the conversation, but again, Jimmy G has to take a major pay restructure down. Maybe it's part of an extension or maybe it's just pay restructure down and bonus clauses. If it's starting to have success, keep in mind though, that his career record as a starter is 31 and 14. That's pretty good. Now, his career record is also a lot of injuries, and now he's coming off the shoulder injuries. So stay tuned a week from today in our next NFL Notebook segment. He may have a new mailing address. I don't think Frisco wants to keep him on the roster at a $25 million eat-up cap space. Uh, if they can't get anything for him, they'll probably release him. He'll go free on the market, and then he's going to sign a real low-budgeted contract. So it's it's a waiting game, and everybody's is playing both sides against the middle. What's the best deal I can get? Well, Lee, uh, we'll have some time over the next few weeks to get ready for the season and maybe focus in on some of the divisions and the other big stories around the league. But before we go today, I'm just, you know, at this point where training camp is open, everyone's got some optimism for the most part. What are, in your opinion, which coaches in the league have the hottest seats going into week one? Well, if you pay attention to what's being written by the insiders, they're saying Dallas. And Jerry Jones says, no, Mike McCarthy is my guy. We chose Mike McCarthy to lead us back to the Super Bowl. But Sean Payton is out there. Payton keeps dropping hints. He will coach in 2023. <laughs> so I would say, yeah, uh, there's no doubt that Mike McCarthy's seat is probably as hot as the weather is outside at the Star in Texas. Uh, he's got to win. Now, obviously, he's got an awful lot of bullets in the gun. He's got a lot of really good football players. And Jerry Jones has always provided his coaches with an enormous amount of talent. But I'd say his his is really a hot seat. The other one, and I wouldn't say hot seat, but this bears watching. New England is not what New England used to be under Belichick. Of course, there's no Tom Brady. But Belichick's drafts have really been substandard, not really good. That's not a really good team. Now, granted, they drafted the kid quarterback last year, Mac Jones, out of Bama. And he played pretty well till he ran out of gas at the end of the season. He started losing players with injuries. Uh, but they say that, that Mac Jones has taken a, a step up uh, in terms of productivity, classroom work, et cetera. Now, he doesn't have his, his coordinator with him. Josh McDaniels is gone. That's going to be interesting to see. And a very strange configuration of Belichick's staff. So I think, I think Belichick, you're going to have to keep an eye. Is, is this going to be suddenly mediocrity squared? Are they going to be a 500 team going forward because Belichick hasn't drafted well and doesn't sign a lot of free agents and lets guys go because they don't want to pay him? Fascinating to see what the Patriots are going to be with Belichick and whether he's going to be held accountable by Robert Kraft somewhere down the road.
Hey, what about Matt Rule in Carolina? I mean, he got that big deal to come out of Baylor, um, and they've stunk for the last couple of years. Um, there's been a lot of talk about maybe trading some big-time assets. I mean, is he a guy that, you know, because of how much he's making and how long he's making it for, has a little bit of extra rope? Or uh, is this a, a show-and-prove season for Rule? I think both. Uh, David Tepper, the owner, is a very volatile guy. I can't see him tolerating very many three and thirteen or four and twelve or five and eleven seasons, but you know they they had Cam Newton and they, and they let him go and because of injuries and all that and have really staggered and struggled. Now they make a trade that I think's got great upside. I mean they got Baker Mayfield at a real affordable price. Cleveland's paying half the salary. He took a pay cut to make it work, and then Carolina's only paying three point five million of Baker Mayfield's salary. Now that being said. They also have about $25 million of quarterbacks on that roster because they got one more year of Sam Darnold's $18 million contract. Uh, if Mayfield can have a successful season, then I think that he'll probably save Matt Rule's job. But please, you're a smart guy. Your producer's a smart guy. I'm a smart guy. Can you name anybody on the Carolina roster that thinks to stand out aside from who's a quarterback in Christian McCaffrey? Because I sure can't. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of a ragtag roster. <laughs> uh, it starts there. Uh, Lee, great stuff. With everything else going on, uh, give a quick plug for your award-winning website, LeeHacksawHamilton.com. What's cooking up heading into this long weekend we've got up here? Well, listen, sucker, you did it, so I can do it. So You are very successful doing what you're doing in Winnipeg, and I have now ventured into the podcast world. Yes! Oh, my goodness. I just dove headfirst into it last week. Uh, it's beyond me, but I'm doing it. Uh, I got my website, LeeHacksawHamilton.com. I write on it every day, a ton of information. And if you Google Lee Hacksaw Hamilton YouTube, somewhere out there in the universe, you'll see the first couple of podcasts that I did. One, one was on the history of sports talk radio here on the West Coast. And the one I just completed today is on the baseball trading deadline. So it's fun to watch. I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm doing it pretty well, much like you. I see that scoreball look on your face. I understand it. So hey. it's it, it it's just a new world that we're living in. Who would have ever thought this when you and I first met up that I was yelling at sports fans in San Diego, you were screaming at people in Manitoba, and now we're quote TV stars. <laughs> oh, that is phenomenal news, Lee. Well, Remo's the brains of the operation when it comes to that stuff, but we'll make sure to get that link out and people get on over there to Lee's channel and make sure to subscribe and check out the content. Have a great weekend, Lee. We'll uh, catch up next week. My pleasure. Enjoy Beer Friday. Glad to be back. Thanks, Andy. You got it. Crack a cold one for Hacksaw, folks. There he is. Great to have Lee back. And, uh, oh, I'm fired up for the upcoming season. My entire Twitter feed. I think I have so many Chiefs follows right now. Every single play and practice comes up two or three times in my feed right now. But I'll tell you what, I am here for it. All right, Friday afternoon. You know what that means. By the way, if you missed it, do have an extra pair of tickets for the Valor game. So if you are interested in that, send an email to winnipegsportstalk at gmail.com. I'll pick a winner afterwards and send the tickets. Two o'clock game tomorrow. Great way to get ready for the Bomber game. Uh, but Remo, let's get back in here. We've had a very busy show so far. Uh, the long weekend is just about here, and we know what we have to do. We got to get things going for the world-famous WST Marble Race. Uh, you want to uh, open up, open it up, and then uh, we can hit the cool bet lines while people, uh, while people drop it in the chat? Yeah, let me just get it started. I had to update the marble game during the segment, so uh, your video was getting kind of wonky. That's why I was updating the marble race. 
Great planning. I don't know. Great planning. Yeah, I should do it really before the show. <laughs> I didn't. So. Oh well. It didn't affect the audio. Audio is uh, is key. So I haven't I haven't opened the thing. Give me one second. Oh, good stuff. So, anyways, if you uh, if you're new, um, this is something we do at the end of the show on Fridays. Uh, we've got some great prizes from our friends at Canadian Club. We've got the uh, we've got our hoodies. Corey, by the way, won last week. He's picking up. He was a medium. I think we have all sizes still, uh, with the exception of double X. So hopefully, I will, though I do have some cool bet uh, hoodies of that size that we could probably hook you up, and I'm sure we'll be getting some more for football season. But uh, um, as soon as Remo throws in the chat that uh, we are open and good to go, uh, oh, there it is, exclamation mark marbles. So uh, all you need to do in the YouTube chat, put exclamation mark marbles, uh, and you do have to be subscribed to win. So if you haven't already, what are you waiting for? It's completely free. Hit that red subscribe button and make sure you're subscribed to WST. And if you don't see the shows live when we're on YouTube, you can just hit YouTube at any point and uh, our, the latest WST content will be there ready and waiting for you. All right. Throw it in, folks, exclamation mark marbles. And while we fill that in, let's do our cool bet lines. But just quickly, speaking of cool bet, Taylor Pendrith, the cool bet athlete, is now five under for his round through eight. And he has a three-shot lead at the Rocket Mortgage over my guy Tony Finau and Cameron Young right now. What a great story for the young Canadian. This would be... uh, Pretty sure this is the first time he's ever been leading. And, um, man, to be playing in the final group, if he can stay in the lead at the end tomorrow, would be a great step forward for the young Canadian. Give a lot of us something to look for coming up on the weekend. As far as the cool bet lines for tonight, three CFL games. Uh, We've got one tonight, and it's BC and Saskatchewan. And uh, I'll be honest, I'm stunned that the Riders are now a one-point favorite. Um, BC was as high as two or two and a half earlier this week. Um, so Saskatchewan right now, even money is a one-point favorite. BC laying minus 120 and getting a point. Um, but the money line, and this is where it's strange, the money line favors the BC Lions. So uh, minus 114 for the team to win, and the Riders minus 103 on the money line. Certainly, it makes more sense to bet the Riders to win at minus 103 than lay a point at plus 100. And Bombers and Stamps, this one is going towards the Bombers. I thought we might get to a straight pick em. It was minus 110 on both sides yesterday. Not anymore. The Bombers are a minus 132 money line favorite, and the Stamps are plus 108 to win. Uh, and as far as the spread goes, Bombers minus one and a half. Calgary getting one and a half points at home, and the total in that game is 46. There hasn't been much movement at all in the Argos Red Blacks game. Toronto still a five and a half point favorite for the Sunday finale. That's a four o'clock game here on uh, four o'clock game in Winnipeg. All games on TSN. Busy weekend for my lock shop partner, Dustin Nielsen. He'll be calling the game tonight at Mosaic. And then we'll also have the call tomorrow between the Bombers and the Calgary Stampeders. And a quick look at the Blue Jays. They're taking on the Detroit Tigers. They won again last night and covered the run line. Huge favorites tonight, minus 340. And the run line's actually two and a half. 
Uh, if it's to win by two minus one eighty two, you got to get all the way to win by three to get close to even money. All the odds are there for you at CoolBet, and if you haven't already, use the promo code WST on your first deposit. We'll give you a one hundred percent bonus up to two hundred dollars over at CoolBet. All right, we uh, have had a packed show, Remo, but the, the weekend doesn't officially start until we drop the marbles. Folks, last call in the chat. If you haven't already, just simply go into the YouTube chat, put in exclamation mark marbles, make sure you're subscribed, and uh, we'll wrap it up and uh, get this thing going. What uh, Have you picked out a, a track yet today? No, I haven't yet. I'm trying to see how many names we got. I'm just looking at um, our subscriber numbers. We're 50 away from 8K, so if you're here... And you're not subscribed. What are you waiting for? I know, like, I think it's like 50% of people who watch aren't hitting the red subscribe button. What are you doing? People, help make us a, out. Make I a mean, YouTube account. It'll track you. It'll recommend you all the best stuff. It knows exactly what you like. This is the future, people. Yeah, this is exactly Well, I keep seeing on Twitter. Um, this week in Radio is Dead. Uh, how... <laughs> how um, well, there's a nice article by Sean Fitzgerald how the Thai Cats took over their own radio rights, and our guy Adam Steborn tweeting that seems to be the way things are are going. And I keep seeing tweets about uh, the fan in Toronto replaying content. So hey, we're podcasts. We're here. We're the future. We're living in now. And day uh, in, day out, here on Winnipeg Sports Talk, yeah. we're here for you. Although I will be uh, away for the first time in uh, a long time uh, next week for a couple days. Remo will be holding it down, and uh, then later on next month, he'll be taken off for a little bit, and uh, that will be the true test of Winnipeg Sports Talk, if we can actually run a show with Remus away. Uh, plenty of negotiations behind the scenes to uh, figure out how we're going to pull that off, but you know that we will. Um, all right, let's do this. Uh, let's uh, close up the... Um, close up. Yeah, Todd for Tanny. Uh, everyone's coming out. By the way... Uh, shout out to Theo Seegers. Uh, Theo, longtime listener from day one, old 1290 guy. Great chance to meet him earlier this week when he popped by and picked up his hoodie for his win in uh, the marble race of a couple weeks ago. But um, all right, uh, Remo, let's uh, let's uh, get, let's get her done and get after it. Sure, I'll close the entries. I'll close the entries. We got 140 people in here. That's nicely uh, done. Impressive impressive number um hey one thing has you know what came up at the end of yesterday's show about adidas declining to renew their jersey sponsorship with uh, the nhl a lot of speculation who it's going to be uh you were like this isn't a big deal it's a big deal to people who buy uh nhl apparel nhl jerseys um i'm curious who the who's going to take it over in two years are they going to have redesigns is it going to be Nike? Is it going to be CCM? Who's the other one? And Fanatics would be the third one. And um, a lot of people upset about the way the jerseys, you know, you, you have the Fanatics, you know, what are they called? Breakaway jersey. And then the Adidas has their authentic jersey. But real jersey buyers know us that the product that Adidas was offering for retail as the authentic was not actually the authentic jersey, anything like it that the players were wearing. So uh, I wonder how that's going to change. 
in in two years. So I that well, is, I just hope they're I hope they're I'm good. On. I mean, I don't care. I don't have any loyalty to one particular brand. Although, mm. as you pointed out, I'm not really a fan of fanatics taking over the entire industry. No, it's so terrible. I certainly hope that is not the case. And whether it's Nike or whether it's Reebok or whoever, <clears throat> I'm here for it. But I mean, before we even get to that, we haven't even seen the new reverse retros yeah. that are going to come out next season. So I will worry about that down the road. That's in two years. Well, one thing I think is we're not seeing a lot of Adidas apparel. And now that Adidas, I do. The one thing I hope as a new era hat where if we see new era get licensed for some NHL, NHL hat. Um, we don't really get too many of those. Oh, what do you got there? Oh, this is a moose. Are you wearing my that? Bucket, my moose bucket hat. I, it's ready for uh, ready for the fishing trip. When I got this, I said 100%. Yeah. I'll be taking this to Aikens this year. And uh, now I'm just sort of getting my stuff ready. And uh, I wanted to make sure I didn't forget that. But uh, let's uh, let's uh, get this show on the hey, road. A little who, marbles time. Who am I? Th- am I throwing anyone else in to our race yep. here? Let's throw in. Let's throw in our guest for today. Hacksaw. Yeah. Marat. Yeah. Double D, Darren Dunn, and Ed Tate. Yeah. And then uh, I think Dalton Schoen deserves a, a marble after his uh, big UST, uh, WST bump and his incredible performance for all of us mm-hmm. that bet him last week on uh, on the over and to get a touchdown. I wouldn't be sure. surprised if we do the same thing tomorrow as well. How about, how about uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois? You getting one? Um... Well, actually, yeah, you can. I we said he's our favorite player because he's been the gift that keeps on giving yeah. throughout the last couple of weeks. So I, I guess we owe it to him. We uh, we don't know what he's having for dinner tonight. He might not either, but okay. we do know that he's a contestant in the WST Marble Race. We've seen a couple people. Suggest- oh, and Willie J, Willie J for fifty fifty. There, Willie J. We've seen a couple people um, suggest over the, this past week some chant. Be you don't have any good chance at uh, what's it called Canada Life Center, yeah. And people are saying well, for PLD, we need to chant what's for dinner for the next one because he doesn't even know what's going to be for dinner. I'm not sure we really want to put all our efforts into chanting, basically trolling our own players. Is that trolling or is that cheering him on? I think that's support. That's trolling. I all man, I had the hardest time deciding I'm on what's here for, for the lunch. Argument. I'm here for the argument that it is not trolling and it is somehow somehow supporting Dubois. Uh, I'll hear it out, but I uh Every, I think hey, that's laughable. I think everyone that's the most relatable thing you could say. I don't know what's for I have the hardest time deciding. I spent honestly spent twenty minutes today sitting here when I should have been doing work for the show trying to figure out what I was gonna have for lunch. Oh, so you know I'm what? Yeah, we don't need to put PLD in, but can we still p- put one more marble in? Sure, sure. Brooke Henderson. Okay, so take Brooke out Henderson. PLD. Two t- yeah, Dubois okay, out. Everyone says Brooke it's Henderson's trolling. In. Everyone says it's it trolling. It is trolling. Maybe I, didn't re- maybe I didn't realize it was trolling. <laughs> I thought it was in support. That's <laughs> the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I thought it was support. <laughs> I didn't know. Oh, okay, and by the back. way, okay, listen, you well, you get that set up. Folks, go on to my Twitter profile. There's a tweet from last night that just simply I says, I, s- gonna forget about I smell a bidding war. And a character named Bob, Mr. Bob Dabalina, great, great track, has put out a tweet that said, now taking offers on this one-of-a-kind local art. An artist, Jay Backman, who did 
an incredibly detailed pencil sketch of an infamous Michael Remus headshot from 2012. Um, there it is. I, I mean, this must have taken hours and hours. I mean, I think this is a pencil drawing. And um, yes. this is one of Remo's more flamboyant pictures in the pack. I mean, he was big with these professional photo shoots back in the day. And um, this was one that was out there. So uh, uh, they are taking offers on this art right now. Gary got it. Gary got in the mix last night. So uh, Gary if did? You, if you, yeah, Gary's already bid uh, two two lower bowl seats for the Jets in Vegas next year. Okay, I think that would get it done because he was asking, he was asking a lot for that because that is a hand pencil drawing. That's not like Jay Jay uh, Kilgore <laughs> offered like twenty bucks to. He started it off, yeah. Twenty dollars starting gift certificate. Like, that's not even close. Like you would need a you would need a lot for that. Well, as I said, it was an it was an interesting selection of his muse for this beautiful picture. But uh, there you have it. The uh, star of WST, Michael Remus, is there. It is the glamour shot he did. That belongs on Hammer's shelf at home. I may have to just get this and then have it sh pop up occasionally in the background while we're doing while we're doing interviews here on WST. You're gonna have anyway. to pay up, man. You're gonna have to pay up. It's it's gonna be more expensive than you think. I hit a bonus on the VLT last night. I've uh, made a money right now. Just I, it was the perfect timing to see this uh, this on it. Anyways, let's uh, let's do these marbles and uh, get uh, get going on the long weekend. By the way, I think I'm gonna be out at the Gold Eyes game tonight. Should be a great night for baseball. So uh, if you're out at the game, make sure to say hi. Uh, thanks again to everyone that entered in our marble race today. And again, uh, if you do win, we'll identify you at the end and uh, send us an email of uh, what your size is, and uh, I'll uh, contact you and get you set up to uh, do a pickup, hopefully at some point next week before I get away for a couple of days out to Aikens Lake. And uh, shout out to Pitt and the Aikens Lake gang. Cannot wait to see you all next week. And um, I'll be trying to fire out some nice content to uh, to everyone here at Winnipeg Sports Talk. And hopefully, my, hopefully Balls is going to bring the drone out so we'll get some sick, sick pictures of uh, what we're doing out on the water next week over at Aikens Lake. But uh, CTO, take it away. Oh, hold on. I got to figure out something screwed up here. Ah. All right. You do yeah. not want to suffer Oleg's fate going over the top rope. We're into a uh, funnel. Is this the funnel or uh, what's this one called? Twists and turns. They're all start Ooh. the same. I like it. Twists and turns. All right. So good luck to everyone that's in first place today. We've got a hoodie for you. Again, we've got all sizes with the exception we're out of double XL. We'll work on getting some new ones. And a big thanks to our friends at Canadian Club for their great support of prizing for the marble race. Good reason to try one of those CC and gingers at some point this week. All right, without further ado, 
We're past three o'clock. We got to get the podcast up. But first, we drop the marbles on a Friday afternoon on Winnipeg Sports Talk. Let's go. All right. The chaos of the early funnel. Who will be the first marble down? Looks like Shane Mason's got a nice start. I see Kabilis. DJ Cool. DJ Cool won uh, once, like a very early race, if I'm not mistaken. And DJ Cool seems to have the inside track on being the first marble down. It is DJ Cool in first. S. Elder and Bozeman with a great start. <laughs> Poor Bozeman had been in a bit of a slump as of late in his head-to-head wagers with uh, our other friend Ross. But a great start early for Bozeman. DJ Cool still in first. Renee Dandino, Doug Phil in the mix. And S. Elder, sort of our top three right now. Mike Irving, Bozeman, David Asplund, all looking pretty good. Doug Phil over on the right side. But it's still DJ Cool with a slight lead over Renee Dandino. Uh, but Doug Phil, real great transition through that last funnel, has now taken first place but it is tight and frankly it is just about anybody's race doug phil into the next funnel dj cool there s elder a wonderful transition is s elder still in or is that going out i think s elder's yeah. looking good there's two different ways here s elders and one way josh conway now making a run on the other side yeah and oh he gets stopped st stuck a little bit by the red bar but still in the mix. This is one heck of a race. We've got contestants on both sides. Who is going to be the first one in? Renee Dandino on the left. Winnipeg Chaster on the right. But it's Renee Dandino. Another first-time winner here on WST. What a race today. That was very, very tight. Everyone into the mix. Winnipeg Chaster. Sylvia Martin right there at the end. Ken, Greg M. Uh, but our final results, Renee Dandino, Ken 007, Winnipeg Chaster, Sylvia Martin, Greg M, Rob Mahoney, Comet, S. Elder, Josh Conway, and D20. Uh, we'll just wait for everything to come in and we will do a quick scroll through the um scroll through the standings just to if anyone did have some head-to-head -head bets with each other, they can make sure where they finished. <laughs> yeah, people want to know where they finished after. Brown-eyed girl, MJD, final through. Nicely done. Um, so there you have it. So, Remo, just so people can go back and check. Bozeman, that's got to be your best one ever, Sean. 11th mm -hmm. place. Quite good. And I'm pretty sure you would have beaten Roscoe in this one today. Uh, but, yeah, Remo, just give a nice scroll down. So uh, if people do want to check it at some point, they'll know who... Uh, where they finished? Sure, we're scrolling down here. I'm trying to see where our uh, special guest marbles finished yeah, in. Exactly. See, Mark Hewichenko, iHeart Gaming, Shama Gorn, Gregory Liverpool. Nice work, Greg. Dallas Pauls, I see there. Tristan Rivers Music, legendary muse of the Winnipeg digital sports scene. Okay, wait, is this, I might, have screwed up. I might have screwed up again, Huss. Did I? Is this today's? Well, I don't know. No, Did I, I didn't do this move? again? I didn't see any of our special guests. I don't know. Maybe they just didn't go in. Anyways, the bottom line is that uh, 
Dan well, Dano, or sorry, did I was I pronouncing it wrong? Because I don't. Oh, see... Dano, Dano, not Dan Dano, or maybe that Dan... was so. Uh, Dan uh, Dano. Yeah, I was saying Dan. I've got a couple friends named Dan Dano, but uh, it no, it's Renee Dano. So Renee, congratulations. WSD or Winnipeg Sports Talk at I... Gmail dot com. Uh, so I may have done done it again where I didn't put the names in. Possible. I have to do a redo. Is, is, is Renee Deneau here? I'm not there either. Winnipeg. Man, he's oh not here because I did, did this again. again. I did it again. Yeah, yeah, I did it again. This is last week. This is last week. I'm an idiot. Yeah, let me put it in. Why are you, why are you saying that? What do you mean? Why are you putting your head? Why are you putting your head down? Because we just wasted five minutes doing a marble race with the wrong contestants in it. <laughs> oh, whatever. We'll do it again. Let's do the same one again. We'll do the same one. We'll just do it. All right. Yeah, I know. I did like that course. I did like that. That course. was a good course. It was a good course, Ellie. So I, we had never done this ever before. Two or three weeks ago, we had to do three marble races to get it done. Yeah, I don't know why I keep doing that. I forgot to load the names. I get so fired up. <laughs> okay, let's do this one. Yeah. <laughs> okay, let's just do this again. That was a that okay. was not the real race. Okay. Do we have the right names? Oh, one one bird says the regulator is going to have to step in for an inquiry here. Yeah, <laughs> the regulator is here. Okay, so just to confirm, you got the right names in. We're gonna we're gonna need uh, we're gonna be have people tweeting at us from Australia who bet on that one. Yeah. <laughs> No doubt. Okay, just as long as let's just make sure that this is this is the this one. is it. This is the right one. This is it. I, okay, I it. folks. Uh, Winnipeg Sports Talk Marble Race heading into the long weekend. Take two. Let's go. Okay, wasn't a waste. People thing is people like the marble race. What what a uh, well people do love it. There's no doubt about it. We could be doing these. We could just start our own marble race channel, to be perfectly I honest. With I you. think so. Uh, one bird with a nice start. I saw Brooke Henderson in the mix. Yaz, dude. Dino. No one's getting down there first. We're getting a little closer. Looks like Yaz, dude's first through. Yeah. There's Marat. Yeah, there. Oh, Marat's in the mix. Dino. Dalton Schoen in the mix, too, and Willie J. Wow, a bunch of our uh, added marbles are looking good right now. And again, if any of those win, we'll uh, give it to the uh, the next one, uh, the next person up. Uh, Yaz Dude's there. Miller Time, if there's a former winner. Miller Time's definitely been in. Uh, there's Ross, Dave the Fantasy, Prairie Boy, Doug Phil. Doug Phil going back-to-back -back has uh, been a big contender in both of them. Uh, Prairie Boy, Dave the Fantasy. Oh, Yaz, dude. Sick transition through that funnel. And look at Marat Atesh. Marat right there in the mix with Yaz, dude. Uh, and hot on uh, Marat's trail is Prairie Boy and Dave the Fantasy and Dalton Schoen. Uh, But it's Marat and Yaz, dude, both going on the left side. And a, opening up a bit of a lead on the rest of the uh, the rest of the competitors. Now, how this works right here will be key. Uh, oh, they both got through the red gate, and now we are going down. This is really head to head. Marat and Yaz, dude, 
Paul in the back, but who will it be? Yaz dude going wire to wire or Murata Tesh with the first ever guest win in WST history. Marat finishes second. It's Yaz dude. And it all came out from an incredible start. Did not get laid up with any of the obstacles through it. And Yaz dude with another first ever win. Um, Jay Miller, Paul Carr, great, great run. Rob Somerville in fifth, Doug Phil in sixth. Doug was, uh, Doug Phil was a contender in both of those. MC Stormy, shout out to MC Story. I'm always in the chat. Uh, Dea at eight, Miller Time, 1980, and Dino Apostolopoulos. Hey, shout out Timothy Stolber, a new member of the channel. Shout out to you, man. Thanks so much for the support. Um, we will do a quick run through the rest of the marbles and the full when as soon as Brent Harlock pops in as the final marble through today. All right. Um, well, that was fun. I'm actually glad we did it again. Yaz, dude, congratulations. Send us an email at winnipegsportstalk at gmail.com. Uh, we'll make an arrangement to get you set up with a uh, one of our hoodies. And um, as we roll through all of these, all of these, uh, the the performances, Marat with a second place. That's the the best we've ever had for an added marble, I do believe. Uh, who else do we have? Dalton oh, Schoen, 18th. Gitch. Oh, Ross came in and uh, <laughs> Rob Booz is going to be choked. He, uh, he run. Oh, and Bozeman had a great run too. That's sort of the great rivalry between those two. They always go head to head in it. Willie Jefferson, 27th. Nicely done. Uh, Mac Richter in there. We see Donnie Boy, Frosty Winnipeg, Shane as we continue through. Uh, Moose 3, Todd M, McGoran, Chris Vermette, my pal Fertani. What's up, Todd? What else we got? Rickdale Productions, Leanne, Pie Boy, Waiters 27, Prairie Boy. Prairie Boy was right in the first one, not so much the second one. Dave the Fantasy, 75th overall. Double D, Darren Dunn, getting ready for the American the Derby. He finishes at 86 today. Uh, continue down. Some uh, old favorites, Manny Fran, One Bird, BA Split, Theo Seegers, oh, Mitch WHT. Hacksaw came in at 111th. Not too bad. Uh, all the way down to our final marble. Eddie Tate, tough one for Ed. Hopefully the Bombers do better tomorrow in Calgary than Ed did in today's marble race today. Finishing 130. And uh, all the way down to the bottom of it. Um, folks, great stuff today. Um, thanks to all the guests. It was a packed show. Uh, we do want to get uh, out so we can get the podcast up for people that might want to be listening. If they're heading out of town on the way to the lake, wherever you are this weekend, have a great time. Do it safely. Don't drink and drive. And join us on Tuesday for a full recap of the weekend. The Bombers, latest on the National Hockey League offseason. If anything happens, chances are it'll break at about Friday night, 10 p.m., heading into the long weekend, like the Kachuk trade last week. And uh, most of all, enjoy yourselves. Gold eyes for the next three days. Valor FC tomorrow. Big Bomber game tomorrow as well. Uh, 6 p.m. We'll be all over it. and We'll chop it up for you on Tuesday's edition coming out of the long weekend for the 1st of August on Winnipeg Sports Talk. Thanks for being with us, gang. Have a great weekend, and we'll see you on Tuesday. Oh, my oh, God! Oh, 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 shut it down! Oh Let's go home! Thanks for tuning in to Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. 
Make sure to subscribe on YouTube and your favorite podcast feed at winnipegsportstalk.com.